Pod Morton would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is an independent production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers, and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is currently accepting scripts and treatments. Both William and Dina Rush are also available via email or Zoom to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers free of charge. Their information will be made available in the show notes. Original Cinematic has multiple exciting projects on the horizon. Their next film, Immersion, is slated for release in early 2024. Upcoming films Fetish, Sweetener, and Run and their documentary Drag, the most targeted art form, are anticipated for 2024 releases as well. Their new award-winning film Group is currently on the festival circuit, and very generously, Original Cinematic will be providing a link for our patrons to screen the film on Zoom. It is truly an honor to partner with Original Cinematic, and we can't thank them enough for their contribution to our show. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations! Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister, and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from a hidden cellar discussing the 2009 horror film, The Loved Ones. This film was written and directed by Sean Byrne. With influences from classic horror staples, auteur filmmakers, and true crime cases, Burns set out to tell a unique and twisted tale of revenge while utilizing and subverting genre tropes. With a dark sense of humor, torturous sequences of horror, a glam aesthetic, and a memorable villain, The Loved Ones would not only become a hit on the festival circuit, but would attain cult status over the years since its release. This film was suggested to us by friends of the show Guy54, Sophie Hodson, Shep Huntwood, Alan Johnston, Jasmine, and Stephen Junius, We'd like to thank each and every one of them for their continued support of the show, as well as this suggestion. So, The Loved Ones, what were your first impressions on the film? I can't remember exactly when when we watched it, but, it, but we talked earlier and you, it was in 2021? I think so. Okay, and I know we watched it together. Yeah. Um, I, I did enjoy this movie. It's got a lot of cool visuals and I, I like the idea of it. Um, I do, I do feel like maybe the, uh, the rewatch kind of didn't have as strong as a punch as the first time. The first time was a, a very like, oh shit. And then watching it now is like, oh shit, damn. <laughs> yeah, damn. Um, I said, damn it. <laughs> but it, it, it is still good. And I do, I will say that the villain, holy shit. Yes. I do enjoy that a lot. Um, but yeah, the the uh, the rewatch value. Not saying that it's not there, but it does you, it does lose some of the steam that was there from the beginning. You know, the first watch. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, we I had never even heard of this before we watched it for the first time. And we only watched it because Guy54 had brought it up in a talk mortem submission. Yes. Yeah. Kind of asking if we'd ever seen it and none of us had. So we were like, we'll watch it um, so that we can be like, oh, yeah, we like that movie or we don't like that movie. Yeah. And we all liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And. I was. It, I think even at the Q and A, you were like, "I like Australian horror. I really enjoyed the loved ones." Yeah. I think that you even said that. And that's what's weird is because I think before we did uh, get to cover it or start preparing to cover it, I I was talking me and you, babe, when we were talking. I told your sister, I was like, "Man, I really I remember really liking the movie, so I hope it keeps that same power." Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> watching it. Uh, when I was done, I was like, uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's strange because I had felt the exact same way. I just remember being more, I don't know if like surprised is the right word. But, and I mean, I know that it's different. Obviously, when you watch a movie again, you know what's coming. There was like a subplot that I had completely forgotten about. Yeah. And that watching it for the show seems a little, like a lot of buildup. For not really much payoff, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. But I, it's still overall. I think that this is for all the subject matter in it. It still finds its way to be a fun film. Um. It's you know pretty straightforward. There's not going to be a loved ones too. Yeah. There's not. You know <laughs> what I mean. This is. It is very short. It clocks in. It does its job, and it clocks the fuck out. And I mm-hmm. never have a problem with that. It's just somehow the magic kind of dissipated quite a bit for me, which is strange because I am a big rewatcher. Yeah. And watching this for the second time and being like, well, okay. You know, I was I was not really expecting that because I was pretty impressed with it the first time that I saw it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I agree with both of you. I remember the talk mortem submission yeah mm-hmm. guy 54 asking us to watch it and we watched it talked about it and we we're like hey maybe we'll cover it in three years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes that's exactly what we said i remember we to the day no. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it, it i think that is exactly it is that maybe the first time is just a little more shocking because it is the first time right and then you kind of go back and then when you get to rewatch it especially because we watched it just to watch it yeah. yeah 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 this time we're watching it of course to analyze it and you know figure out what we like what we don't like mm-hmm. yeah and so maybe we are mo- watching it with a more critical eye right i know that there are things that do stand out to me as things that i enjoy yeah oh yeah especially uh performances yes mm-hmm. robin mclevy yes yeah. fantastic performance from her and a very interesting character yeah the only thing and it's the same thing that we talk about a lot whenever the runtime is very short mm-hmm I mean, this is with before the credits start. It's seventy nine minutes. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so when you think of it that way, you're like, there, there is a lot of character that could be here. Yeah. Mm. That we are missing out on. That I mean, and there are interactions that um, set everything into motion. Mm-hmm. But I would like to have more before that. Yeah. yeah. To where it's like, oh, it was just that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's really? all? That's yeah. true. You know? <laughs> and so, but the thing is, is like you, we were talking off mic and it is kind of a thing that adds to the horror of it mm-hmm. where it does seem so out of the blue of just this small, small slight that leads to what it leads to. Right. But then at the same time, you're like, I don't, <laughs> I don't feel like watching all that. Like, <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, as far as like, I mean, when I don't know, I think I think as I <laughs> as I grow older, right, in my old age of thirty two, yeah, I I feel like I think, and it's it doesn't really push itself over to like the point of a hostile. Okay, yeah, yeah, but I feel like maybe just torture films aren't for me really. Okay, okay. I respect that. Yeah. I think that I'm willing to put up with a lot if there's a story to back it up. And like you said, the way that things are set into motion, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. That's all? <laughs> Which like you said, okay, yeah, adds to the horror aspect of like you never know mm-hmm. what interaction can seem extremely mundane to you that somebody could... That could be the catalyst for them to do something terrible. Yeah. Right. That is horrifying. That it, is very yeah. scary. And it's realistic in a way. And it's yeah. realistic. Oh, no, yeah. But I think I don't. And I'm not saying, please do not misunderstand. This is not a good for her film. But I think it could have been a couple more steps toward that if it was more of like a carry situation. Right. Now, right. And we will get to that in a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But part of me does kind of appreciate an irredeemable. Oh, yeah. Okay. Person. Yeah, yeah. Or well, a villain. It, it takes guts to write yeah. a character like that. Yeah. But I, I do agree with you, T. I'm not for the torture porn. Right. I if if it goes too much, it's like, oh man, you're just you're just fucking this dude off. That's yeah. not you know what I mean? He's just in pain. It's yeah. like, that does okay. nothing for me. Yeah. yeah. Um but and and you're right, I know it doesn't go that far. Um, but I, I, I wish too we would have got just a tiny bit more uh, characterization, or we mm-hmm. would learn just a little bit more of them. I don't mind what's going on here in the movie, but there is something about the movie that watching it again, I was like, "Wow, I don't remember that, and I don't like that." It's very, <laughs> it's very, because uh, there is moments where you have to sit in things. Yes, yeah, and some of those moments, I don't want to sit in those things, mm-hmm. and it's like, God damn. Say what the fuck? What, what's happening? <laughs> and w- one thing I will say, as far as because there are some moments uh, that are exactly like that, yeah. And there are other moments that are played so slowly that you're like, I really like this, yeah. Where you realize the film is shot really well. Mm-hmm. It is. The score is fantastic. Yes. I, I, in the aesthetic. Yes. Yeah. You know, there are some shots that are very memorable, but then at the same time, you're like. Uh, it, it maybe it does just come down to characterization and story yeah mm-hmm. and it really is dude that subplot yeah <laughs> yeah it's like we need this to be feature length yeah, yeah. that's almost what it feels yeah. like because i mean i'm expecting almost almost like a sitcom where you have the a plot and the b plot yes. yeah and then eventually <laughs> at the end they come together they right converge. right but then they come together in a very unsatisfying way yeah and then not even completely no Okay, yeah. Yeah. I had a theory rewatching it because I was like, I do not remember spending so much time with them. And I didn't fully remember the ending either. So I was like, as I know it was only 2021, but as many movies as we watch, oh, shit gets lost. It does. And we didn't even cover this. We just watched it for funsies. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of it was in the ether. It was gone. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, what if, you know, this, this, and this? And then when you finally get it, it's like, oh. Mm-hmm. That's just sad. Yeah, <laughs> Why did you spend yeah. so much time building that up for it's like, okay. And I feel like there, there are a couple of scenes where you can add and it's ex- ex- exactly as you said, give it more of this carry dynamic. Right. Where we can, cause, and that, that's me just being contradictory because I'm torn between wanting 
a little sympathy for the devil. Right. <laughs> it's a talk mortem. <laughs> or creeping creeping up sleep. That'll come out it's in a few not months. Out yet. <laughs> <laughs> Next month, I believe. Yes. I, I want some of that, but then at the same time, you're like, oh, well, it is kind of interesting to just have a villain that is just completely. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? So yeah. I'm, I'm very torn. Yeah. But I do think that. And maybe it's just down to Robin McLevy's performance where there are moments where you're like, am I feeling sorry for this person? And you're like, wait, no, I'm not. No, she's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that having somebody who you can sympathize with in this role, I think that it just makes it more palatable for us. And so when you get somebody like this or even like a Patrick Bateman where it's like, oh, you're just fucking disgusting (laughs) yeah there is nothing to root for there is no hidden oh my god that's why he's like this it's just like no you're fucking awful i think that it takes giant balls to do that so like you're saying i do appreciate that but at the same time i think i think my thing is how short this is yes Mm -hmm. i think that maybe when this is just a one-two punch like that maybe i kind of needed more of a oh this was like this was it or that was the moment Mm -hmm. because you know you know, but, I don't, we we haven't done the spoiler alert yet. But. <laughs> no, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like if we get that, then later with the ending, there needs to be more explanation, or there mm-hmm. needs to be a monologue or something. With the way what we get, we don't need any of that. That's that's totally fair. And uh, T and I were talking earlier. There are backstories for a couple characters that we don't get in the film right. at all. Yeah. I will say in an interview, Byrne had said something along the lines of, well, I'm giving away a prequel idea. Oh. So I don't know if that was an intention or if that was just a throwaway line in an interview. Okay. The stories are real, though. The backstories. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, were you really potentially planning something or were you just talking well, maybe right they didn't clock in do their job and clock out like i said earlier <laughs> <laughs> they, they have overtime yeah, they, they're coming back tonight <laughs> working split shift um but i did want to talk a little bit about the production mm-hmm. i read articles in dread central an interview on chase whale and bloody disgusting as well okay so this is like an amalgamation of all these sources but Burns' idea for the film was sparked after writing several screenplays that he just didn't think would work as a debut feature. And so, which is interesting to think that this is a debut feature because, again, we talk about confidence. Yeah. Yeah. This is a pretty confident debut. It is. But he then suddenly had an idea that came to him, and this is what we were talking about, where he wanted to mix Carrie and the Evil Dead. (laughs) <laughs> and the funny thing is whenever i heard that i was like oh well i guess you know kind of like a cabin-ish situation yeah but then there's something that comes later in the film where you're like oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah more so you're right but he had one image in particular that came to him and i'll point it out whenever we get to it mm. but that was the real jumping off point and from there he kind of just worked backwards and then built around it okay okay which is pretty cool yeah and that's where everything took off he also cited quentin tarantino his dark comedy all right he cited john hughes the breakfast club okay and pretty in pink Mm -hmm. yeah and interestingly with the breakfast club you do see basically and they pointed this out in an interview all of the characters from the breakfast club are in this (laughs) yeah like in in their own way yeah and a criminal Oh my yeah. God, he came in hot. Christ. <laughs> I thought Brian wrote this or whatever. <laughs> God damn. We all get a voiceover? <laughs> um, 
But, and two other films <laughs> that he cited as well that you definitely see the influence. Mm-hmm. Misery mm-hmm. and the original Texas Chainsaw. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. For sure. He also, and this is where <laughs> I was lost a little bit, mm-hmm. he cited the work of Paul Thomas Anderson in the terms of connectedness with connecting plot points. That's where I have difficulty. I, I think that's probably the weakest element for me um, huh. of the film. And I know that that torture is not everybody's bag. I'm not saying that it's mine, but that <laughs> that the miss of that bothered yeah. me more than the torture. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, yeah. not trying to no, be that's fair. like harsh, but that that for me was a giant like missed opportunity. Yeah, I was a little just like, huh, OK. Yeah, it's sure. honestly it feels like two different films happening it at does. once. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm waiting for the Seinfeld episode where you find out that like <laughs> it's the the guy's Kramer's <laughs> friend or whatever and it's just not It never happens. It, no, that no. does not happen. It never happens. But and, and before I get back into the production, I do want to say as far as the torture is concerned, I am like I I do consider myself in the same camp as you, Nay where and you as well yeah I, everyone everyone here <laughs> um where it's it's a matter of serving the story yeah it can be too much but if it serves the story in a way that makes sense it doesn't feel as gratuitous yeah yeah but and then even here it just i don't know there's just something about the way that it's done where it just feels like all, all right yeah <laughs> yeah we're all right doing it ag- again you said okay all right <laughs> cool 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 but this according to Byrne, was initially meant to be an incredibly low-budget film of about $100,000. Okay. But an Australian film producer named Mark Lazarus suggested that they do a three to $4 million film so they could attract investors. And the way that they did this is because the success of Wolf Creek in 2005, the Australian government was more interested in funding genre pictures. Huh. I think Wolf Creek was made for like 1.4 million and made almost 30. Damn. Damn. And so they're like, all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, money talks. We've, yeah. We've discussed that before. Yeah. Indeed. And interestingly, the production designer of Wolf Creek is the production designer of this film. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. But he said that he tried to design the film as a roller coaster rather than an easy ride or a film that just pummels the audience into submission is what he said. Okay. Okay. He also said that he hoped for an equal share of laughs and screams. Okay. I mean, there there is dark comedy. There yeah. are moments that are, they're darkly funny. But again, with a runtime this small, it is hard to have comedic moments hit when you are dealing with some extremely, yeah, extremely heavy themes. And the back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yes. You see something horrific and you're like, well, let's check in on, on these guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, they're having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> you're not, though. Yeah. Well, what if one of you is? <laughs> so that does make sense. Yeah. I, too, I was like, why are we, like, in the middle of what's going on switching like yes, that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later as far as the success and the failures for us personally. Right. But the interesting thing to me about the film is that it hit the festival circuit throughout 2009 and 2010 Mm -hmm. and it even won awards at toronto international film festival 
but it sat there undistributed in the U.S. because the production company that owned the film thought that it had crossover potential with mainstream audiences, and so they wanted to wait for the proper distributor to release it wide in the U.S. Okay. But it didn't really happen because I read that it just had a limited theatrical release in the U.S. in 2012. What? God damn. So made in 2009, wait yeah. for three years. Almost like kind of we talked about Cabin in the Woods where it's yeah. just sat there. Oh, yeah. And you're like, this movie was made a couple years ago or however long. Huh. And it's just kind of sad because, I mean, you think about it, you put this much into a film, you make it, and then you take it on the festival circuit. Right. It's very popular. It's winning awards. And then years yeah there's like now let's sit on this for a little bit yeah. <laughs> why okay. it's just strange to me yeah but it you know it found its audience it gained cult status as mm-hmm. i've explained mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 it's like i was the end of my intro but <laughs> i just it's just waiting is just wild yeah. yeah now before we ask this film to the dance we would like to issue a warning for spoilers Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's fall in love. So the film begins with production logos to the tune of Superstar by Sophie Coe, and the lyrics are pretty apropos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll get more songs that are even more so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But we hear a radio cycle stations of pop, metal, and alternative rock to finally settle on The Lonesome Loser by Little River Band. As the song begins, we're treated to shots of the empty streets of an Australian city, unopened shops and bright street lamps in the dawn, a battered basketball hoop on an unpopulated court, a green field and trees surrounding downtown buildings, and a railroad crossing in the rising sun before we cut to black and get the title, The Loved Ones. I did like the opening with the shuffling of like the radio stations. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was interesting, um, especially when we see like why that's happening or you know what I mean? I thought that that was an interesting like audio to open up on. I agree. I, I think especially with how important that becomes. Yeah. I will say that I did read in an interview that with securing funding from the Australian government, Mm -hmm. one of the things that is necessary to do is to showcase Australia in some way. Okay. And so I I feel like these shots, because I think it was shot in Melbourne, but these shots kind of feel that way. Also, The Loved Ones was the name of an Australian band in the 60s. Oh, very nice. Yeah. (laughs) So I feel like maybe that's a twofer. That's really cool. And that makes so much sense because in every Australian film that I watch, I'm like, it is fucking gorgeous there. Yeah. I have in my notes somewhere, we'll get to it, but I'm like, God damn, that place is beautiful. Yeah. Except like, you know, the giant spiders or the kangaroos waiting to kick your ass. But (laughs) like the scenery is gorgeous. You make it like a kangaroo's waiting outside. Side punching its own hand. I saw on TikTok a video of a kangaroo trying to fight a guy and they had to pull the kangaroo away. Try, he's like, you ain't shit. Trying to fight a guy. They're so strong. <laughs> no, they are. Dude, he's and they're built. They are. That's what I'm saying. I, I swear to God, I'm not going to derail every Australian film with, with the kangaroo talk. Yeah, talking about eating or fighting kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> like on talk to me Look, but yeah. they clearly worked out we don't want to they do yeah. we don't wow. mean any harm they don't miss a gym session that's all I'm saying <laughs> but after the title we return to the morning a sedan barreling over the blacktop of the open road and we learn that that's where the music is emanating from 
Inside the car are Brent, a teenager played by Xavier Samuel, and Dan, his father played by Fred Whitlock. So just a little bit about the casting of Xavier Samuel. Mm -hmm. In an interview with Bloody Disgusting, Byrne had said that he had seen him in a film called September, which was like a coming of age film that came out a couple years prior. Mm. Okay. But he said that the reason that he got the part is because of his ability to tell a story through his eyes and body language. Okay, okay. And we'll learn just how important that is. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, afterwards, after The Loved Ones, I think a few years later, I don't really know the chronology of the film series, but he was in two of the Twilight films. I saw that. And he was in Fury with Brad Pitt. And recently he was in Elvis and Blonde. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So he's keeping busy. Yeah, Yeah. good for him. But Dan is all about the music, singing the verse of the song word for word and clearly reliving years of memories with it before smiling and remarking how much he loves this song. Brent just smiles and laughs a good-natured laugh at his father's performance. His hand's at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. Brent just tells his father that he needs a new car because this one's a piece of shit. Jeez, man. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, I love that you're singing, but this fucking sucks. (laughs) It's like, next time we can take your car. Oh, Oh, that's right. Yeah, so shut the fuck (laughs) up. (laughs) What are they in? uh, Prius, right? We always have a little rubber band in there. Yes. Right, yeah. <laughs> Gator loves that shit. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> you had to. Well, yeah. you had Back to. to the other guys. But Dan takes it well, defending the vehicle and sharing that Brent was conceived in the back of it. Like, Dad, please. <laughs> That's payback. Yeah. Brent, wishing that he hadn't said anything, sarcastically thanks his laughing father for the mental image he's just provided him. But as the car continues down the road, Brent notes that it doesn't even have a heater or a CD player. Dan is thankful for the latter because it means that he doesn't have to listen to Brent's heavy metal bullshit. But Brent scoffs that Dan sounds like an old man, and Dan just counters that there's nothing wrong with a good melody. Brent's only retort is to repeat his father's words in an old shaky voice while <laughs> hunching over the steering wheel. He's lost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I will say it's so funny to me because I, I, I've lived both sides of this argument. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very weird to realize that I've settled on Dan's side. Now, yeah. You know. There's nothing yeah. wrong with a good melody. No. There's not. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we're all in agreement. Right. Yeah. The pair just laughs, but when Dan places a cigarette into his mouth, he notices the watchful and judging eye of his son. Dan tells Brent not to think that his mother isn't sneaking one from time to time, but before Dan can reply, Dan notices something through the windshield, offering a loud and frantic, look out. They switch to Helter Skelter. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we get into whatever's about to happen, mm-hmm. I thought that the smoking subplot was going to be a little more... It, you get a tiny. Yeah. yeah tiny. Very small. But also, I feel like there's a difference between if his mom is like going out to the to the garden, as it were, yeah. to sneak a cigarette every once in a while and the dad just lighting up like yeah. <laughs> blatantly <laughs> in front of their son. Like, I think there's kind of a difference. But yeah. right. So you're not going to tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to shut the fuck up about this time. Are you cool or not? You like driving this car, right? <laughs> My shitty, shitty car, right? <laughs> but Brent looks up and he sees what his father saw too. A young man wearing only a pair of jeans shuffles slowly in the middle of the road. A wound carved into his torso in a very specific shape that I don't know if we can talk about yet or are supposed to notice. Mm-hmm. Right. But... 
He also has nicks and scratches and dirt covering his naked arms and back. Brent swerves out of the way to miss him, heading off the road, losing control of the car and careening at a high speed into a tree. We cut to black before seeing on-screen text in white reading, six months later. That was abrupt. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm noticing a trend in a lot of movies that we've covered lately where it kind of opens with a tragedy or a loss. Yeah. Um, the meat of the story, always six months later. I don't yeah. know if they're trying to say like time has passed, but like we're still going through this. But like, I don't, it's like, it's always six months later, six months. And now that I've said it, y'all are going to notice it too. Because it's in like every movie that starts like this. It's six months later, six months later. Yeah. I don't know if it's just, uh, but maybe it is like you're saying. But then again, I mean, it, it can be a year. It can be. That's what I'm saying. Like, like grief yeah. is not linear. You could almost use any amount of time you know, to tell this story and these people are still at different stages of accepting what happened, but it is like almost always mm-hmm. six months later. A good little time jump. I guess. Yeah. And something that, I mean, admittedly for me is a little confusing is this tragedy isn't as important to the plot as I would think it would be. Not yeah. really. I mean, when I watched this the second time, cause we had it on this morning, there's a moment at the end where I'm like, okay, is this a moment of redemption? Because it kind of bookends the beginning and the end. And I, I didn't notice it until technically it would be my third watch of the film, mm-hmm. which like I get that to a point, but my, I think I feel like my issue with this is like, this is horrible. And what we find out what happened is terrible. It's tragic. It's awful. I don't understand why we never address why Brent swerved off the road. Thank you. Because it's not as though he were being reckless, which is implied later that he's yeah. been experienced and he fucked up. Yeah. That's not the case at all. You saw something that you do not fucking see every day in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. You swerved to avoid it and then tragedy struck. Yeah. But we never talk about what you saw in the road. That's that that and then you saying that, T, I didn't I I did think about it, but not like it did. It wasn't something that crossed my mind because everything that happens kind of just gets forgotten about. Yeah. And you saying that did make me think, no, yeah, we don't get anything else. I think for me as well is the fact of what we learned just in the next scene. Yeah. Shouldn't there be a little bit of recognition from Brent? Yeah. I mean, just to connect it even more. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I understand it's a very high pressure and very things are happening very fast. Right, yeah. right. But at the same time, wouldn't you be like, that's... I mean, even if you don't... Even <laughs> if, Again, I don't want to give it away. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if we don't fully identify, there was still a human being, half naked, that clearly has gone through something awful. Mm-hmm, even if yeah. you don't know who that is. Even if that you've never laid eyes on this person before. I don't understand why it's not. And who was that? And what did I see? And did anybody ever find? Like, I mean, there's yeah. just no like m- solution to that mystery of, Where, of what, what, what the fuck was that? Where's his shirt at? Where is his shirt? You could explain it away. You're <laughs> 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 really concerned. Yeah. <laughs> you could. I'm more concerned about the wounds. But <laughs> I'm already keyed up. Well, if there's a shirt, it protects against, you know. Barrier. Yeah, a little bit. A little, but we might want to get you to the doctor. <laughs> yes. I, but it's very easily. You can explain it away in one line with him when, we, when he's talking to his mother later saying that he doesn't remember what happened with the accident. Yeah. Okay. That 
then I, I would shut the fuck up. Yeah. But yeah. like, we don't get that. So no. I will not shut the fuck up. I yeah. will never <laughs> shut the fuck up. You will up. never shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> I did also read in an interview that Burns said that originally they showed very gruesome results of this car accident and decided to cut it because he said it zapped the fun out of the setup. And it's like, yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> you're right. That's ex- yes. Mm-hmm. You don't have to tell me that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we cut to a wide shot from the parking lot of the local high school. The bell rings loudly and students pour out of the building into the street, cheering wildly and tossing papers. But inside, a tired-looking Brent stands at his locker, talking to Jamie, his best friend played by Richard Wilson. So just an aside, because I have to say this, Mm -hmm. but Richard Wilson was also in a film called The Proposition. It's from John Hillcote, but it was written by Nick Cave. Oh, Oh, shit. (laughs) have to always reference Nick Cave. But through the crowded hall, Jamie discreetly palms a baggie of pot over to Brent, who shoves it into his pocket. He asks Brent if he's sorted for alcohol, too, because he's apparently got loads. He got his father to pick it up for him, he says. Thanks, Dad. Just telling everybody? (laughs) Son, what the hell? (laughs) Just had that one friend. Yeah. (laughs) Brent assures him that he's fine, but Jamie then invites him out to a party tonight, which Brent declines, saying that he'd rather just smoke and hang out. Jamie stands there in disbelief, reminding Brent that some girl named Holly's parents are overseas and Brent just wants to smoke and hang out. Brent smirks without a response and Jamie offers something else to him, a condom. He assures Brent that it's ribbed for her pleasure. <laughs> he even rubs his own nipple to demonstrate this fact, which I guess every salesman has a tactic. I don't you know? know. If this is his, sure. <laughs> but, but they're being responsible. Yes. Yeah. At least that. Yes. Because most times kids are just like, whatever, let's go party. At least his friends like luck, dude. Be safe, man. Be safe. Brent just laughs, but Jamie urges him to take it, saying that it's just going to expire if he holds on to it. That's funny. Yes. (laughs) But Brent then directs Jamie's attention just behind him. And in slow motion, to the blistering garage rock sound of Lay Me Down by Abby May and the Rockin' Pneumonia, Mia, played by Jessica McNamee, walks over to her locker. I will say this song fucking rules. Yeah, yeah it was I was going to say that's good shit. Yeah. <laughs> and we love a good slow motion moment. Yes. I'm still waiting on mine. My mean girl's jawbreaker moment. I'm still waiting on it. <laughs> you mean personally? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How will you know? I don't think Mia's aware. She's aware. I'll <laughs> <laughs> know. I'll know. I will say Jessica McNamee. You can recognize her recently because she plays Sonya Blade in the new Mortal Kombat. Oh, shit. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But the song, as I, <laughs> I wrote it in my <laughs> script, I said the song absolutely rules. <laughs> <laughs> but Mia seems very cool, and Jamie couldn't possibly be more in love with her if he tried. He goes to rush after her when she walks away, but almost forgets his bag in the process. He scoops it up and runs off, clearing his throat in preparation for conversation as Brent just stands there laughing. After piling his belongings into his book bag, Brent looks down the hall where Jamie lurches out, shouting triumphantly, Yes! She said yes! Good for there him! You go. I was not expecting that. Yeah. No, not at all. And again, I... Mm-hmm. I yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. talk. <laughs> yeah, go get him, Tiger. Yes. <laughs> 
Brent just smiles as behind him, Lola Stone, played by Robin McLevy, very nervously creeps her way toward Brent in the lonely hall. Her bright pink shirt matching her pink hairband, she sidles up next to Brent before he even notices her and stands inches away from him. When he finally sees her, he offers her a kind but taken aback hello. Lola sweetly and lowly asks, Will you go to the dance with me? Brent just sighs, apologizing to her by name and telling her that he's going to the dance with Holly. He apologizes again before walking away from her, leaving her standing alone in silent and somber rejection. Okay. (laughs) I would just like the record to show Mm -hmm. how polite he was. Yes. He did not laugh at her. Mm -hmm. He did not make fun of her. Mm -hmm. Like you said, he knew her name. Yeah. And he wasn't like with you. He's like, I'm I'm going with my girlfriend. Yeah. Um he's done nothing wrong. No. <laughs> he's done nothing wrong. I understand that like it would still like be embarrassing or still sting or whatever, but it's like that's the nicest fucking way that you can do he, he did nothing wrong. Yeah, and on the cool, I get it is embarrassing in that moment but there's nobody around you he wasn't making fun of you like you said nothing bad happened hey can you go to dance with me no i'm already dating someone that's who i'm going with i'm sorry sorry yeah i'm so twice yeah yeah. and you know this is not a plug it up plug it up moment like i i just what i don't know what more brent could have done Mm -hmm. in this moment besides being like you know what fuck my girlfriend let's go (laughs) but then even then i feel like the end the evening would probably would have gone the same same way (laughs) (laughs) no i would (laughs) have but brent heads outside immediately bumping into holly his girlfriend played by victoria thane they kiss and she brandishes a set of car keys Brent congratulates her for passing her driving test and they share an embrace. But as they walk toward the parking lot, he tells her that she won't believe who asked him to the dance. This is when I'm like, oh, they're about to fucking laugh at her. Yes. Yeah. In of her. Yeah. And Lola's going to be around the corner. Mm-hmm. And there in a moment presents the opportunity for that. Yeah. yeah. And I was just confused that they didn't take it. Yeah. No, because they don't seem like shitty people. Yeah, at <laughs> like, that's, all. That's the thing. At all. They should, though. <laughs> I think I've changed my opinion on from the beginning, from the intro. I just I, you did say you've been going back and forth. Yeah. Now you're back. I'm back right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be fourth in about three pages. I think. <laughs> but I think again, it gives us the ability to not care what happens later. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So yeah, you know what I mean. If they were, and then we're like, oh fuck you, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Then later on, we oh, but no, it's a, yeah. that's a good like we talked about in Carrie, where it's like, yeah, get him. Yeah, uh-huh. not 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 the teacher. Yeah, no, no, that, no. not the, the gym teacher. That, yeah. But you know the rest of them. The, that motherfucker they kept calling you Cassie. Get his ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> but there, that is not here. No. That's not <laughs> get my name get wrong. My name <laughs> that's hurt. <laughs> you get my wife's name yeah, right. <laughs> See why do we keep calling? <laughs> <laughs> But we cut to Brent and Holly making out in her car at a seemingly secluded location, Holly straddling Brent as things are getting hot and heavy. But Holly stops suddenly, urging Brent to tell her who asked him to the dance. Brent just smirks, telling her that he needs more than that. So Holly supplies more, taking off her shirt with a chuckle, and sitting there shirtless, asks Brent again. Brent is hesitant, revealing that the girl who asked is very sensitive. Again! 
Yeah. Yeah. He's not like, oh, she's a creep, dude. Yeah. <laughs> or anything. He's fucking nope. gross. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> but Holly reminds Brent that she's sensitive too and asks him again, who is she? As she removes her bra and grinds her hips against him. Brent merely responds, not you, before kissing her breasts and her neck. Holly removes his shirt, noticing a razor blade resting on a necklace in the middle of his chest, as well as marks of harm zigzagged down his ribs. Brent leans in to kiss her more and change the subject before it starts, graduating from practical to digital, if you follow me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to get past the scissors? I'm not trying to get an email from me. I mean, from, from what? From, from, from me foundation. From, from the forum. But Holly works her way down to give, to perform. It's fellatio. The old right. thinner. Just mm-hmm. say it. The old thinner. Yeah. What is happening? She's giving him the old thinner. He yeah. was giving her the Tom Atkins. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting <laughs> I wasn't expecting any of this or for as long as it went on. No, it and it continues. <laughs> and there's more. Well, it's young love. They're dating and they're I mean, I good mean, for that's, them. Yeah. Good for them. But we learn, like we, I said it was a secluded area, but for all I know, the way that people drive uh, here. Yeah. In, yeah. in this film it's like this is just like this is in the parking lot when, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Uh, yeah on the cool that's what I thought yeah. yeah something later on that I thought was happening in this the same I thing I was like what <laughs> really you guys are really fucking yeah. pushing it dude <laughs> but Holly hesitates for a moment and Brent assures her that he'll never tell as soon as she begins, Brent is far too distracted to realize that just outside and watching through their steamed up window stands Lola. This, for me, I thought would make more sense if this is around the time that he told Holly. Yeah. Yeah, but like told her in like a mean way. Yeah. Right. And honestly, the way that he presented it was kind of mean too whenever they were leaving the school. Yeah. You'll never guess who. Yeah, kind of. I'm sorry. It's still not enough for a while. Yeah, no, none of it warrants any of it. Um, it's not a conditional response. No, yeah. no. But yeah, I mean, especially with her watching, you would think that like she'd be like, "Oh, is she gonna do that?" You know what I mean? Like something them making fun of her, or, like I don't know anything. But this was not like Lola, girl. This is not about you. Like this, you know, this has nothing to do with you. Yeah, on the cool because they are like you said, T. They're engaging in activity and mm-hmm. they're minding their business to themselves. Even even him, the lead up being like, no, no, I'm not going to tell you whatever. Not wanting to, I guess, embarrass her or, or you know, give yeah. up her name or whatever. That's fine. But the way she is standing there looking, I would have expected it if he would have been like. Like we're saying, if he was like, sure, I'll go to the dance with you or whatever. And then they're making fun of her in the car while this happens. And then she overhears it. Yeah. But you watching them, you're just a fucking creep, dude. Yeah, you're doing too much. Also, T, I would like for you to give John Paul his flowers for saying engaging in activities. I have one flower for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. It's okay. I'm used to it. He's like, don't yeah. I, I won't do well, that again. Yeah, he's, it he's, won't happen again. You're lucky, dude. Yeah. He's negative flowers. Yeah. <laughs> now we're plus one. Yes. All right. For now. Yeah. <laughs> 
But Holly's white beetle parks on a suburban street, and sitting together for a moment, Holly asks Brent if he told his mom that she was getting her license. Brent shakes his head no, and Holly asks earnestly if this is where she's supposed to pick him up then. Brent just shrugs and says that his mother's going to have to deal with it sometime. After confirming that he's sure about this, Holly makes sure that she can pick him up tonight at 7. Brent just gives her a kiss, and before he can step out of the car completely, Holly sweetly says, I love you. Brent returns to kiss Holly on the cheek once more without returning this. Yeah. Yeah. I love you. Say it back. Yeah. But standing outside of her car, and after a moment of hesitation, he blurts out that it was Lola Stone. She was the one who asked him to the dance. Holly just laughs, joking with some language that hasn't aged well, Mm -mm. that maybe he should just go with her instead. She drives off, honestly looking a little annoyed. So Mm. I wasn't sure if she was joking or not. I think that she's annoyed because he won't say I love you back. Yeah, that's kind of the way I took it was like, that's not what we were talking about right now. I just said I love you. Yeah. And you're and you're thinking about Lola. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're saying. throwing me the crumb that I wanted earlier yeah. because you don't want to face the fact that I said I love you and you are not saying it back to me. He should have said it back. Yeah. He should have said it back. Yeah. We all agree. Yeah. But I, I just feel like, I mean, if he felt that way, obviously. Yeah, well, yeah. But, and I think he does. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I just I feel like they it doesn't seem like jealousy is an issue the way that they were like joking about it earlier. I don't think that she was mad about Lola. I think that she was like, like this fucking dude I'm trying and he's like not. Yeah, you know, that's fair. I will reciprocating. say mm-hmm. what she says to him and says also about Lola in saying that to him. It feels again. I'm like, maybe you're not as cool as. You seemed earlier. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you have. And again, if we had more time or if we saw it at all. I think that. Yeah. I I, I don't think that this was enough to show any kind of like, oh, they don't like her. They make fun of her. I I, because I I don't get that. I get that she's annoyed with him and that's what you chose to say. So I'm going to throw it back in your face. Like, that's how I took it. But if but again, and I know that that's what we've been saying, if we had a little more time, because we can only come to assumptions that they've been together for a super long time. Mm -hmm. She's been helping him grieve. She's been going through this with him. You know what I mean? And we do get we do see that in these little bits when they're together and how they are comfortable with each other and how they interact with each other as a couple. Yeah. So they do play off well with each other, but we don't we don't know any of that because we just have to assume that yeah because again not a lot of time i feel like maybe if we don't find them six months later immediately at the end of school yeah maybe we see a little bit more of the school day okay Okay. maybe we see him talking to holly earlier Mm -hmm. and we learn that her parents are out of town yeah yeah and maybe we see lola watching them yeah okay. you know like just little things yeah. here sure. and there because this movie could stand another 10 minutes i mean it is not even <laughs> yeah. a fucking hour and a half yeah <laughs> yeah you know i mean but brent heads home only to sit in the darkness of his bedroom on his bed and listening to heavy metal a slice of light widens as carla brent's mother played by Susie doherty creaks the door open to enter the room she asks her son how he's getting to the dance and brent takes off his headphones but without looking up at her tells his mom that Holly is going to pick him up tonight. Carla remembers that Holly doesn't even have her license, but Brent shares that she got it today. Carla responds that she'll give him money for a cab, but Brent tearfully asks her what's the difference he's still going to be in a car. 
Carla reminds him that cab drivers are more experienced, and Brent finally meets her gaze, asking, And I wasn't, so Dad died? Carla is speechless, as is Brent, who gathers his things and storms out of the house. But she's speechless in a way that's like, well, yeah. Yeah. Like, I was very bothered. I understand, obviously, that she's going through her own struggle with what happened. But your kid is, like, carrying that weight Mm -hmm. on his shoulders. And he thinks that you think that. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I, I was just like, the fact that she just, like, lets him leave without clarifying yeah no that's not what i'm saying or like anything this was pretty rough yeah this was a little odd for me too it was a little weird transition of what we move into Mm -hmm. and i i I think it was that too was the phrasing of it i don't know if it just hit my ear wrong or what but it did it it, i was just like that's that's an odd thing to say well because she's not even like no that's not what i'm saying and then he's still like is mad and leaves she's just like well yeah i feel like if she had said that and then maybe has that moment with herself yeah that might be better for the poor kid yes yeah. like goddamn. because fuck dude one thing i will say and it kind of i didn't okay big radiohead fan mm. there's an amnesiac album poster on his wall okay and i thought at least it would make a lot of sense why we're not talking about why he swerved off the road yeah mm-hmm. if he doesn't remember yeah. And I would like that poster to be a clue that he doesn't remember. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we could have even gotten a moment here where he's like, it wasn't my fault. Well, then what happened? I don't know. Like anything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or like I saw a man in the road and she's like, Brent, there wasn't anyone there. You know, anything like anything. Yeah. Because we just this like horrible moment of silence between them after he's like, oh, so it's my fault. The dad's dead. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is that as well, you had mentioned off mic that an ambulance would have had to pick them up. Yeah. And seeing nobody there, that could be his mother's defense. They didn't find anyone there. Yeah. Yeah. And and it could, you know, be this moment of like, well, then what the fuck was that? Well, was it supernatural? Was Mm -hmm. is Brent hallucinating? Was that Brent in the future? Like there like it like proposes a lot of things instead of just being like, Well, who was that dude? Well, why did nobody else see him? Well, why aren't you talking about the fact that you swerved to not hit a human being? Like Mm -hmm. it just it's like what what the fuck? It's just weird. It would be a very easy answer to just I was in a horrific car accident and I don't fucking remember. If then let's say that. And if we're saying that and we're saying that he experienced some kind of head trauma, Mm -hmm. isn't that foreshadowing? Oh Mm -hmm. yeah. So I mean it's it's like, why aren't we doing this? Yeah. Yeah. And Radiohead's great, man. Like Radio- yeah. Radiohead's awesome. <laughs> so what are we doing? Let's use the poster. <laughs> For real. He just points at it. Mom, I don't remember. Yeah. I, do- I, I love this album, remember? <laughs> I did read somewhere that there are a couple of posters in there as well. I think one's for Metallica. Mm-hmm. But the Metallica one they had said was supposed to be a reference to something kind of foreshadowing what happens to him later. Oh. But kind of as far as the guilt that he's feeling too. Okay. I just can't remember what album it was. Yeah. Amnesiac, I spotted off the bat. Yeah. It was that Metallica album that something bad's going to happen to me and also I feel really guilty <laughs> <Six> <laughs> about things ago, that already happened. something really terrible. <laughs> so I don't Duh. know. Oh, what, right. what other album would it be? T- is that, Jesus Christ. Is that the Black Album? <laughs> no, I think it's Garage Days. Because it is. Oh, right. <laughs> it's like, that one doesn't have a title, I think. Yeah, maybe, at all. maybe that's what's going on. The record label's like, what the <laughs> fuck are you yeah. talking We're about? We're calling it the Black what Album. It's the Black Album, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
But we find Brent walking down the street with his dog, metal blaring in his headphones as he stomps across the sidewalk in slow motion. Now, real quick, I do want to say what he's listening to, I believe, is Parkway Drive. And they've and I was like, man, this sounds pretty cool. I'm I'm a metalhead. I do like some metal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so they formed back in 03 and they're an Australian metalcore band. I was oh, like, cool. okay, cool. And then the next year they released their full-length album and then they went on tour and they opened when they would go to Australia for Shadows Fall, uh, Hatebreed, and Chimera. Oh, wow. And I was like, yeah, I was like, damn. But I ended up kind of listening to some of their music <laughs> and I was like, this is good. You're like, so I did not finish the movie. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> My notes stop here. <laughs> but I do know these four right, albums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back to front. But can, yeah, can we talk about the music real quick? <laughs> and I will say, because it, it punctuates the scene perfectly. Yeah. I, I, I really appreciate the way they use music in this film. Yes. Yeah. Especially later. Yes. Yeah. Or continuing later. Mm-hmm. But as heavy guitars pulse with every step, Brent removes his necklace, squeezing the razor blade in his hand as he holds it taut. Gritting his teeth, blood trickles down his arm from a fresh wound in his palm. But we cut to Holly, at home in her underwear, admiring herself in the mirror, gazing into her own eyes as a love song plays softly in the background. This contrasts with Brent, whose metal motivates his march through a field, the camera panning to the right to find Canyon Rock. I wrote Canyon. I'm not a geologist. I don't know if you guys know yeah. this. You're not? No, not anymore. <laughs> uh, I Look, I don't know what rock formations are. Right. Maybe this is a cliff. Don't, okay. hurt, don't hurt my feelings if it's yeah. a cliff. <laughs> don't hurt my feelings. <laughs> there are rocks there. There's yeah. rocks, man. It's a ridge. It's <laughs> <laughs> I'm shrugging. Nobody can see. <laughs> Regardless. It is ribbed. Yeah. It is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like Jamie told you yeah. that. Yeah, it's that ribbed ridge. Yeah. For sure. Regardless, Brent takes it upon himself to climb it. Was anybody else worried about his hand getting infected? Well, it is wide open. Yeah, yeah, that's all I was thinking. That that was my thing too. Well, I was like, dude, I get it, but put a put a bandage or something. a handkerchief or something on that hand. That, those rocks are pretty dirty. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of dirt out there. Pretty dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen dirtier rocks. I've seen dirtier, but they're definitely not clean. Yeah. <laughs> but the camera cranes down to find him, and we get tight shots of his shoes and hands finding purchase in the rock as his dog watches him from above. Now, I forgot that he brought his dog. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw the dog, and I'm not a zoologist. I don't know if you guys know this. What the fuck? (laughs) Like a coyote was waiting for him? I thought it was a dingo, I swear to God. But then I was like, well, don't like come for me. Please don't hurt my feelings. <laughs> if it was a dingo. Like, I don't know rocks. <laughs> I don't and obviously, know. I don't know dogs. <laughs> he's a lookout for the kangaroos. Yeah, he's a familiar. I would get the fuck out of there, dude. But hey, and I just said that maybe it was a coyote. I don't know if there's coyotes over there or if that's oh, just yeah. the nesting. So. so don't be mean to him yeah, either. Yeah. Yes, please don't. <laughs> and the only thing that I know about dingoes is I think that Elaine Bennis put on an Australian accent on an episode of Seinfeld. She did. Yeah. And said it once. Well, that was an actual case. 
What? Yeah, I think, and I, I could be wrong because this is literally just off the dome, but a woman's, uh, a dingo took a woman's child and like ate him. Oh. And she was like almost convicted of it or was convicted of it or something. And then it was found out that a dingo actually did. What the fuck? Yeah, those things are scary. Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are you? I'm like obsessed Dude, with Australia. I think. It's the video of that guy punching the kangaroo to get yeah. his dog back, wasn't yes. it? Yeah. Are you like on the anti-tourism <laughs> board? <laughs> What are you doing, dude? I'm obsessed with We Australia. love Australia. I know. I just am very aware of all <laughs> the, <laughs> You're just preparing. You're prepared for a future when travel. When I yeah. go, yes. the dingoes and the kangaroos are not going to catch me slipping and the giant spiders. All right, all right. <laughs> Got anything else? Or they're waiting you? at the airport. What do you mean? <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, they're they've driving heard. the cabs. Yeah, they listen, dude. <laughs> the limo drivers. <laughs> <laughs> just rolls down the window and you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> I made a huge All the shit I've said. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. It is. <laughs> it is. So don't hurt my feelings either. <laughs> I really do love Australia. I'm just kind of scared of it too. We're all very sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> don't be mean to us. But Brent grows weary, clinging to the rock with his wounded palm. His eyes closed as the pensive score grows louder and louder, and we zoom in on his serene face as he hangs there precariously by one hand. After a moment, the rock in his fist crumbles, and he reaches up with both hands, holding on for dear life, but he pulls himself up to the top. I thought that he was going to... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm... I admire him because I sincerely hope I'm never in a position where my life depends on my upper body strength because so long and good night. It's not, we're not making it out of this one at all. <laughs> it's a wrap. And then the dingoes can just have me. <laughs> Nay, we gotta, we gotta talk. <laughs> but after his dangerous but successful climb, he collapses on the grass above, and his dog rushes to his side, resting next to him, the both of them panting. His dog's like, what the hell was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knew he needed a hug. Yes. Yeah. But we see Carla sitting at home by the window in the living room, smoking a cigarette. And this shot is followed shortly by Brent lighting his pot-packed pipe and smoking as well. Um, Love pot-packed pipe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So she's just fully smoking now. Yes. Yeah. Not sad. Very. So I think it, that was the little setup. Yeah. yeah. But then I think that's it. Yeah. But as Brent stares off into the wilderness, his legs dangling from the top of the rock and his earphones in his ears, he doesn't realize his dog is barking incessantly at him. He does notice, however, that his phone is ringing. And as he looks down at it, we see his mother at home trying to reach him on a cordless phone by the back door. But just behind Brent, a figure appears, stepping forward slowly to tense music in the score. Brent removes one earbud to answer the call from his mother, but before he can say anything, the figure behind him readies a dark cloth, presumably soaked in chloroform, before seizing Brent, holding the rag tightly to his face as a struggle ensues. Now, and this is a bit much, but just put no rock climbing signs out there. Like that. <laughs> shouldn't be yeah. out here, dude. Like, are you the park ranger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. I didn't see a private property sign. No. You didn't tell me I couldn't be here. The dog's like, we're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we're so sorry. <laughs> it's a lot, dude. It is. It is. <laughs> Brent is easily subdued, but his mother calls out to him over the phone 
and we see the stranger's foot kick the phone away as Brent's body goes limp. Worry is etched into his mother's face at home, but Brent is dragged away effortlessly by the stranger. We then see a car pull away through the dirt, its bed covered by a tarp, speeding off as eerie atmospheric music dissipates. I will say I don't remember him being kidnapped. Yeah. Me neither. I remembered him falling from the rock mm-hmm. and being collected. Okay. I, f- I feel like that almost would have worked better. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because this was a lot. Yeah. And it's broad daylight. Mm-hmm. And we see later that this is a place that he's known to frequent because we look for him here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was a lot. Mm-hmm. One thing that does, I think, bother me a little bit is that from his mother's screaming at home, mm-hmm. it's clear that he did answer the phone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That confused me, too. Because I didn't think that he did at first, but she's like, Brent? Yeah. See? Yeah. That's it's like, why I- are you like that then? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was confused, too. So then later when it's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I don't know. The stuff just doesn't compute. But we cut to Jamie, sat in his car, smoking a joint and dressed somewhat proper for the dance with a beige suit jacket and pants, but a tuxedo t-shirt. He's doing his best. Yeah. <laughs> you still got to have your personality shine through, man. I, whoever invented that, they were like, guys. Yeah. <laughs> got him. <laughs> but people are going to think I'm wearing a tux, dude. Yeah. It's Nobody scary. thinks that. The texture is wrong. The texture is all wrong. <laughs> But he then sprays himself with air freshener and psychs himself up by telling himself that he's a fucking rock star. With a bouquet of roses in his hand and a bucket of nerves in his gut, Jamie makes his way towards Mia's door, only for her to meet him halfway in a little black dress. Jamie tells Mia that she looks wicked and gives her the bouquet, but before they can make their exit, Judith, Mia's mother played by Victoria Eager, steps out of the house to meet them in the driveway. Jamie greets her as Mrs. Valentine, and she says hello, but tells Mia that her father wants to get a photo before they leave. So, very important. Mm -hmm. Judith asks her daughter if she thanked Jamie for the flowers, and he tells her that it's all right, but then Mia gives him a very rushed thanks. Jamie appreciates it, but admits that he couldn't find the roses in black, which earns a smile from Mia and Judith. That was was, was cute. I liked that. It also got me that I felt the same way in session nine when he is like feverishly smoking the joint in the car. Yeah. And then he's just like, oh, hey, friend. Like, it's like, do you guys not understand how smell works? Like, I can still smell it. Yeah. I can still smell it. He sprayed body spray on himself, but. It looked like a can of air freshener. Or whatever. Whatever it was. But you smell like that and weed. Yeah. (laughs) It's both now. Yeah. Yeah, That did not get rid of anything. Like fresh linen pot. Yeah. Yeah. But Paul, Mia's father, played by Andrew S. Gilbert, joins everyone in the driveway wearing his police uniform, as does the family dog, who makes a beeline for Jamie, seemingly transfixed on a smell that he finds in Jamie's pants. It's like, oh, that's just our drug dog. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No big deal. And why would you keep that in your pocket? Literally. Leave it in the car. And if you know, especially if you know that her dad's a cop, why are you fucking smoking in his driveway? pulled up to (laughs) the house. The car's right there. (laughs) That is, yeah. That's wild. And you would know a lot. Firstly, the way that everyone seems to know each other, the town seems small. Yeah. Yeah. But then also you would know everything that's, We'll learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just, I don't, you know, I don't know. 
But Jamie makes an awkward introduction, asking Paul how he is, to which Paul responds that he's busy keeping the wolf from the door. That was cool. That was very cool. (laughs) And I will say, Wolf at the Door is a great song by Radiohead. (laughs) (laughs) But Jamie just answers that that's excellent. And Paul suggests that they take the photo now. He asks Mia to stand next to Jamie, and she does so reluctantly. Jamie puts his arm around her, and Judith urges them to smile. Jamie does, and after a photo is taken, Judith suggests another for safety. A second awkward photograph later, Mia abandons the group, muttering, We're going, before walking alone to Jamie's vehicle, getting inside and slamming the door. Judith tells them to be careful, and Jamie assures her that they will be. They speed off as Paul waves after them. But near where Brent was taken, we find Carla there, calling out for her son, telling him that he's going to be late. But clad in a peach-colored dress and jewelry, Holly arrives at Brent's house, excitedly heading up the stairs of the porch and knocking on the front door. Carla returns home, holding onto the railing of the steps, and anxiously asks Holly if she's seen Brent. Several hours later, I guess, because it's dark outside now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess the dance is held across state lines or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Jamie nervously drives himself and Mia to the shindig. Across state lines? <laughs> I don't know. It literally, it cuts. We just saw it was like dusky. Yeah. yeah. And then here we are. It made me sad, though, how excited Holly was, because like how she thought tonight was going to go mm-hmm. yeah. versus how tonight goes. But yeah, they've been traveling for <laughs> a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> but Mia stares out the window, seemingly preoccupied mentally. Jamie asks her if she's okay, and Mia wonders if Jamie has any more pot on him. He admits that he does and reveals that that's why Mia's dog was sniffing his crotch earlier. Yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah we <laughs> He's got like, that. how'd you yeah. know I have pot? <laughs> dude, I can fucking smell it. If we all knew. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like to keep yeah, all, like, dog treats there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just a string of sausages that I, yeah. that I, <laughs> I carry keep, in my pocket. They gave me the quick energy I need to escape. <laughs> <laughs> but Mia tells him that there's no need to explain, but Jamie didn't want her to think that he has a hygiene problem. Mia asks, why? Is he expecting her to... Go down under? (laughs) Down under. If you follow me. (laughs) When she asks this, Jamie appears as if he's about to explode. I don't mean like (laughs) that. (laughs) We only saw his face. I'm just saying. (laughs) He looked. He looked. He wasn't expecting her to say that. No. Okay. (laughs) Well, hygiene is very. Please be clean. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, even like I even. Me saying I don't want to stink is not suggesting right, that I'm right. like, yeah. I feel like that was a bit of a leap. It Nobody was. should want to smell bad. No. It's like be considerate of people around you. That's yeah, all. especially if we're going to the dance. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to dance with you. I'm going to be hugging mm-hmm. up on you. Please. Gross. A little deodorant. Take it, you know, something. Yeah. But you will be clean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But we see that mysterious car of the man who snatched Brent pulling into the parking lot of a chicken restaurant. The figure exits the vehicle to head inside, and we hear Brent's voicemail in a voiceover before cutting to Holly, who stands next to Carla, trying to reach Brent on their corded household phone. Holly hangs up annoyed when there's no response, but before she can say a word, Carla hears their dog whimpering outside. She rushes to open the door, and they find him in pain, 
dragging himself across the walkway outside and towards the front door. Holly rushes outside to pick him up. But we then find Paul and Judith resting in bed, interrupted by the ringing telephone on their bedside table. Paul answers it and immediately recognizes the voice on the other end as Carla. Judith turns over in bed, away from her husband, and worry brims in her eyes. Paul assures Carla over the phone that they all know Brent has done this before, and he always turns up. I was like, what was that reaction? Yeah. From The wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh my God, were they like having an affair? Like, that's where I went. Yeah. Because when... I know you're looking at me crazy, but that, like it was a weird reaction to have. I thought more of it like, oh, his his ex is bothering him again. Something like yeah. her reaction was not like afraid or like, I don't know. It just seemed very like, why is she annoyed? Calling? Yeah. I read it more as like her expecting more bad news. OK, uh, OK, OK. Like, like your husband's. Lemon Square mistress yeah. is no. calling you in the middle of the night. <laughs> no, <laughs> hey. Jeez, no. Yeah. I, I did appreciate this being the moment because him saying like Brent's done this before, he did leave very upset. You know, it, it does seem like a habitual thing. Mm-hmm. The dog. That's what changes everything. Yeah. Yes, because the mood shifts completely when Paul asks, What do you mean they stabbed the dog? What? Yeah. Who? Ex- yeah. Yeah. Go find that motherfucker. Yes. Who did that? But we see Holly driving through the night with Brent's dog resting in the passenger seat. She glances over at him periodically, but slows the car to a stop when it appears as though the dog has slipped away. That's so sad. Yeah. I frankly, like, I don't remember any of this. No. Yeah, at all. Happening or even a hint of it, any of it. Mm-mm. And this is kind of where I feel like they're because they do some things that are a bit unique in this film, mm-hmm. but then they do a lot of things that really rely on these old tropes yeah. yeah, of this kind of thing that is everybody always knows it's unsettling and it's uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. But then that for me, I feel is less successful than other things that they attempt in the film. Okay. I get that. There are certain things that you know is going to get your audience upset. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I totally get that because some films it feels like you did that to make us cry or you did yeah. that to make us hate them or you did that. You know, it's something irredeemable. It's something so like evil and fucked up that already we have not even seen this person's face and they're it's beyond. Right. But we then see Jamie and Mia arrive at the dance, parking in the lot, music blaring and lights shining from the venue behind them. A parking pass displayed in the front window in front of Mia. She watches as Jamie attempts to play it super cool and slide across the hood of the car, <laughs> only to fall off immediately. Right. I, I totally want to sleep with you now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I bet I'm like, how did she not laugh at that? Yeah. that was hilarious. He's trying his best. Yeah. <laughs> And he recovers quite nicely, rushing over to the passenger side door and beckoning Mia from the car with a milady. (laughs) But Mia just sits there, turning away from him unimpressed. But we then see that phantom car again as it continues unabated, only stopping when the driver notices a dead animal on the side of the road. We watch as the car screeches to a stop, only to reverse, the passenger side door opening to retrieve the roadkill before the driver presses on. The car's headlights pierce the night as they arrive at their destination, parking behind a small farmhouse cut out of the darkness by the light of the moon. 
Eerie music abounds, but ceases when the tarp is pulled off of the back of the car. We then see the assailants, Lola and Eric, her father and Brent's kidnapper, played by John Brumpton. I really liked the music here. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's like, oh, when you see who it is, this is bad. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't have anything good planned for that roadkill. No. Put that shit back. That... (laughs) Put it back. <laughs> well, don't touch it. <laughs> no. I did read in an interview that originally there was supposed to be a scene where we see Eric. Okay. And he is supposed to, what they thought originally in the screenplay, but then changed it, was that he works as a custodian at the school. Okay. Beverly Marsh. Beverly Marsh. <laughs> and also, um, I think Pretty in Pink, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like a double. Okay. Groundskeeper Willie. Also, Groundskeeper sure. Willie. Shout out to Groundskeeper <laughs> Willie. Yeah. Just for fun. Always. Yeah. Um, but seeing him working at the school and then having, you know, a bit of knowledge of his existence mm-hmm. and then not making this connection until later. Right. And then they also had a scene because we learn later that he's kind of like a maintenance man. Right. I guess there's like a sign on the side of his car. Yeah. yeah. But that is supposed to be a little nod to Ed Gein, he said. Okay. Okay. But they also had a scene of him working as a maintenance man in the screenplay, and then they didn't do it for the film. But I feel like seeing him earlier and then finding out that he's part of this whole thing is more effective to me. It would be. I wonder if, if something about the pacing threw it off, because all of this has happened so fast it would be like, oh yeah, it's the only other character I've seen besides these kids and his parents. But then make him just put him in the background in the school scenes. Yeah. Just have him just there. I would have liked Even that. if it's a little blurry, you can make out his silhouette and be like, is that the fucking janitor? Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 I mean, but it's the same thing that we said if we had a school scene with Lola in the background too. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, yeah. Yeah. The first time we ever see her is the invitation. Yeah. Yeah. The film? No. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, um, Byrne had said in an interview as well that John Brumpton, he called him one of Australia's finest character actors. Okay. Oh. And so I'm sure he's a very recognizable face. Yeah. He's really great in this. Oh, he's, yeah. He's fucking weird and gross, mm-hmm. but yes. the performance is really good because he's un- like some of the faces are unsettling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the stones peer down at Brent's dirty and unconscious body in the back of the car, Lola growing fearful that Brent might be dead. Eric holds his hand to Brent's nose to see if he can feel any breathing, promising Lola that he didn't use that much to knock him out. He then presses his ear to Brent's chest and is relieved to hear his heart beating. Lola wants to hear it too, and excitedly presses her ear to Brent's chest, mimicking the sound of every thump, her eyes glossy in the moonlight. But inside the house, we see a small pink boombox playing the first track of a CD, Not Pretty Enough by Casey Chambers. The somber, arpeggiated chords and lonely lyrics ring out through the speakers, and we're treated to a montage of various dolls in various states, some torn apart, some partially undressed, one doll resting under another doll with its face taped up, withered underneath bandages, only displaying a pair of blacked-out eyes through a slit in the fabric. That is interesting. I yeah. was more uh, distracted by the dolls that were getting it in. So yeah. Like, yeah. Good for the dolls, I guess. You know what I mean? That's their business. Yeah. Uh, we're they like they were having fun. This is their home. 
Why the past two films I've covered have featured dolls and montages and collages? And I, my next <laughs> I note know. is... What is going on? I mean, good for the dolls, but her collages are giving that wall in session nine. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but the camera does pan over to a collage of magazine cutouts of male torsos, dolls, angels, teddy bears, hearts before resting on a tiara set on a nightstand around a cup of tea. Lola places a scrapbook on her bed, her name written on the cover in pink, and begins flipping through it. We see drawings of castles, a knight on horseback in shimmering armor, more cutouts from magazines with headlines like How to Keep Him, and more photos of muscular torsos in various outfits and shades of lipstick. But Lola then flips to a photo of Brent in a yearbook, drawing a heart around him, as well as Cupid's arrow through him, the target a large red dot drawn on the middle of his forehead. She cuts it out and places it into her scrapbook, closing it when her dad enters the room, creeping in slowly with one hand behind his back. Placement of the red dot is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) For now. There is a lot we can't talk about. Yeah. Yeah. But Eric unveils a large pink gift bag, and Lola rises to her feet, overjoyed, hugging her father and kissing his cheek before placing the bag on her bed and diving into it. She retrieves a pink pair of shoes from a box, and then, unwrapping it from tissue paper, a shimmering pink prom dress. So it was very funny they were talking about it in an interview, Mm -hmm. but Byrne had said that they had used red cameras to film it because it mimicked film. Okay. And so it's shot on digital, but it mimics film, basically. Right. But the problem was, he said, they're called red cameras, but they're not called pink cameras for a reason. And he said that the problem of shooting pink on these cameras was fucking unbearable. What? And that they had to really color correct and try to figure out the perfect pink to show on film so that it would appear as pink as they wanted. Well, li- okay. there's a shot later on, and I'm like, that is the pinkest yes. fucking yeah. pink I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. And for that color to be so important to this film, yeah. yeah, and be the one that gave them the most trouble, yeah, is kind of wild, <laughs> yeah. But before her father can leave, she asks him to tell her what it looks like on her, and immediately begins to undress. The camera follows her body as if we were Eric's eyes, focusing on her underwear clinging to her and her naked torso and pink bra. Lola stands in front of a mirror, stepping into the prom dress, pulling it up as the camera lingers on her butt, and she's able to zip it properly from behind. We get shots of Eric, who seems to be going through all kinds of emotions, ranging from sentimental to absolutely disgusting. Lock this dude the fuck up. Yeah. Throw away the key. Uh, I don't know if it's just your standard horror desensitization, but I've been it's just been like whatever like i know that this child has been abducted um a father is doing it for his daughter he's attacked this dog um he's done horrible things already but it's still just like you know okay this is standard like movie shit yeah this is when i'm like my stomach hurts a little bit like i this is the first time in the film that i've like physically felt uncomfortable because i'm like where the what are we doing what what's going on yeah, I I think this also for me was one of those what the hell moments. Yes, yes. and uh, <laughs> I didn't. I I I kind of remembered some of it, like we were speaking about earlier, but I didn't remember all of it. So seeing this, I was like, what kind? Of, what the fuck am I? What happened now? Yeah, I did not or, remember the extent at all. 
at all. Yeah. yeah, I didn't remember this element at all. And when it started to happen, I was like, "It's, oh, it's one of these pictures." Like, yeah. I don't. Yeah. God I don't, damn it! I got a deal. I got to write this shit. <laughs> God damn it, Sean it, Byrne! <laughs> it does put a damper on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. But Lola turns around to face her father, fiddling with the skirt and showing it off amidst the clutter of her bedroom. Eric stares ahead at her, offering the compliment, pretty as a picture. A smile slowly creeps across Lola's lips as she meets her father's gaze. Brent, however, stirs awake in the dining room of the Stone household, and as reflected light swirls around the room from a hanging and spinning disco ball and is cast against the wall behind him, Brent raises his head and we see that he's wearing a tuxedo. I was like, why do y'all have that? Yeah. That's concerning. Mm-hmm. For this very purpose. Yeah. yeah. It is the dance. It's the formal. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you can't wear a tuxedo shirt. No. no. That's, that's obnoxious. <laughs> I did read in that interview with Sean Byrne that this visual uh-huh. was the jumping off point. It's very effective. Okay, him in the chair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then piecing it together with what he determined he wanted Lola's character to be. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And we'll talk a little bit more about Lola's character. Mm -hmm. I just want to get to those points before we start giving stuff away. Yeah. But Brent raises his head to see that seated across from him is Eric, who smirks at him, wearing a suit as well, complete with a blue coat and pink button-up shirt and tie. And we see a banner partially hung behind him on the wall, advertising the the end-of-the-year dance. I didn't even put it together until you just described his suit, but like he, his accents are pink. They're, yeah. They match her. Which is what you do. When you're on a fucking date. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, shit. I didn't even yeah. put it together until he just said that. Okay. Ew. That's, yeah, I don't I'm like sorry. it. sorry, go ahead. But Lola leans into frame, accompanied by a low rumble in the score, smiling at Brent, her eyes gleaming. Brent turns to face another person gathered at the table, dressed in a royal blue gown with a crusted over wound at her forehead. This is Bright Eyes, played by Anne Scott Pendlebury. I don't know what guest at this table is the most concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, waking up and being faced with this, but it is very Texas Chainsaw. Yes. it's um, And I love that shot of him looking at the dad and her like leaning into view all happy. It's (laughs) chilling. It's a really great shot. And it's this balance in her performance. Yeah. Because she can go from being this serene and sweet looking person to sadistic. It's, it's wild. But bright eyes looks over at Brent without emotion or words. And Brent tries to wriggle himself free from the chair, realizing that his hands and feet are tied to it with a knotted rope. He watches fearfully as Lola readies a syringe and Eric hands her a blue bottle containing bleach. The score pulses tensely as Lola pulls back on the plunger of the syringe, filling it with the harsh chemical. Eric rises from his seat to stand behind Brent, who calls out to Lola in a weak plead. Eric seizes Brent to hold him in place as he begins to struggle and Lola approaches him. She presses the needle to Brent's throat and Eric encourages her, urging her... Press a little harder, princess. The needle breaks through the skin of Brent's neck, and he screams as Lola plunges the liquid into his voice box, the volume of his scream gradually shrinking into nothing but a raspy exhale as Lola and Eric joyously taunt, We can't hear you. Okay, that's the worst part. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
Brent is never going to be able to perform box full of sharp objects again. No. And I'm, I'm devastated for him. What a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, I will say this was the moment that I was like, oh, so they've clearly done this before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. When you've got a sing song where you're like, holy Miss Moly. <laughs> got, got me a live one. one. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's terrifying. Yeah. And then for them to both do it at the same time, it's yeah. like this is a thing. This is like a this is a process that you're both very familiar with. Mm-hmm. It's like saying Uno when you're down to one card. Yeah. It's just like. <laughs> <laughs> it's just as offensive, really. Were we talking about Uno last week? Uh, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Lola suggests that her father take a picture as she sits on a coughing Brent's lap. Her father mans the camera, prompting them to say, Happy end of school dance. But when Lola insists that this is too long, which it is, it is. <laughs> <laughs> broken clock, I'll say, <laughs> Eric just asks them to say happy. Lola does as she's told, striking a pose on Brent's lap as the flash goes off and the Polaroid prints. Eric asks if they should take one with bright eyes, too, and Lola's demeanor changes, allowing it, but only if he does it quickly. Eric cradles Bright Eyes and drags her over to sit on Brent's other leg, and she rests there catatonic, Lola holding her head in place by clutching the hair on the back of her head. But just after Eric takes the photo, Lola pulls Bright Eyes' hair, causing her to react in unintelligible pain. Eric tries to soothe her, telling her that it's just the flash and it's nothing to be scared of, and Lola just looks up at her father with a sadistic look in her eyes, having gotten away with this petty act of abuse. I think that here is kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm at this table. There's a there's a zombie next to me. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that who knows where it came from. <laughs> I'm sorry, bright eyes was yeah. <laughs> not trying to be yeah. rude. <laughs> well, that's I'm thinking that's my fate yeah oh yeah and then now this is how you're treating this poor woman Mm. that i'm what what does that mean for me nothing yeah Yeah, what does that mean now dude and again this is the second in a row for me where we're talking about lobotomies oh (laughs) yeah did you is this a theme that we're doing what is this (laughs) but back at the high school Jamie and Mia are still in the car in the parking lot, headbanging to rock music and smoking pot together. In slow motion, Jamie watches Mia gulp vodka straight from the bottle, the smoke rising around her, and he's clearly falling even deeper in love with her. But back at the Stones, Lola and Eric enjoy a nice chicken dinner, picked up from that restaurant from earlier, I take it. Yeah. Oh, okay. But chicken and milk was a choice thank you dude it was a choice i don't don't mean to offend if that's how aussies get down but i was not it was kind of upsetting me yeah (laughs) i look it makes sense to me and this is the sentence doesn't make sense but i said milk is an outside food (laughs) (laughs) i I think it's i can't i can't i can't (laughs) i can't (laughs) drink it by itself i don't think do you know we're not supposed to be drinking milk at all i don't think is it because it's from a cow (laughs) (laughs) what no because look the thing is i think our bodies aren't supposed to like that's why so many people like are lactose intolerant or like develop like john paul didn't it didn't used to bother him and it does now like i think our bodies are like enough well a lot of people say that we're the only animal that we see other animals milk and we're like let's try this on for (laughs) size like 
because all the other animals are like (laughs) they they drink the milk from their mother and then that's it yeah but we're like what's that about (laughs) (laughs) bring it over here yeah (laughs) do what you gotta do to it and bring it over here wait that Um, almond makes milk too (laughs) yeah (laughs) let's try it let's try Um, it almond milk isn't bad no it's Uh, not hemp milk yeah, yeah, there's lots of alternatives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know why we've uh, gone into milk corner. I don't know. I had a very good friend that would eat um, spaghetti with a glass of ice milk. She was Italian. Really? Yeah. It's a great source of calcium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to win big milk back <laughs> because I feel like we're losing them. <laughs> well, I understand if you're eating something spicy. You know what I mean? Okay. Oh, yeah. But, but then that's a lifeline. That's yeah, not a that's casual a, yeah. beverage. Well, if I remember, the, the name of the restaurant was like hot chicken or something. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It was so like hot like, wings. We are gonna burn her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, there, there wasn't a hot stuff on it that. Did, it didn't look. No, good. it, it, it looked look very bland. It looked quite yeah. bland. <laughs> <laughs> and not a crunch to be seen either. No. I was very critical of the meal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Please. <laughs> But Lola pulls the meat from the bone, smirking over at Bright Eyes and Brent, who is still attempting to wriggle free from his ropes as quietly and secretly as possible. The reflected light from the disco ball still swirling around them, Lola reveals the wishbone from the chicken and presents it to her father. They grab hold of it and pull, Eric winning the tug of war as the bone snaps in his favor, and Lola is clearly disappointed by the result. Eric soothes the loss by telling Lola that he wished for her anyway, and she reciprocates the sentiment that she wished for him as well. Bright Eyes stares at them from across the table, a hint of sadness mixed within her vacant gaze. I wanted to point out that Sean Byrne had said that Lola's character was partially inspired by angry children that Byrne would see in the supermarket who didn't get a toy. Okay. I can say you well, you see the entire demeanor when she does not get the big piece of the wishbone. Yeah. And his immediate like, no, it's okay. Like, I wished for you anyway. It's very I, I can absolutely see that. I can I can see it. And it's yeah. fucking it's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other inspiration is um obviously serial killers. Yeah. But specific ones that we'll obviously get into. Yeah. Okay. Um he actually had Robin McLevy read about these serial killers. She said that she read a bit but was very unsettled by it and after that he suggested that she watch Misery. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it that comes through. Yeah. Even beats of the plot later mm-hmm. on. Yeah. are very misery. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mhm. He had also said that there's this kind of conflicting contrast with Lola, like I had mentioned before, with this almost childlike behavior, but then also this really sadistic, like, mean streak. Yeah. Yeah. And so what he had said was the way that he presents her is his justification anyway, was with this presentation, they're allowed to get away with more in terms of her awful behavior. He said, the sweeter the sweet is, the more sourer the sour can be. I also love a good Sour Patch Kid. Um, <laughs> I think he wrote well, the ad campaign. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I mean, I guess that just illustrates the wide swing of her pendulum. Yes. Okay. Because it does swing quite far. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
But after seeing the way Bright Eyes is looking at them, this gives Lola an idea for another contest, and she poses the question to her father. Who looks prettier, her or Bright Eyes? It's fucking weird. Yeah. Eric does his best to remain neutral, telling Lola that they both look pretty, but this draws Lola's silent ire. Eric checks on Bright Eyes, asking her why she isn't eating her dinner, and this prompts Lola to lean over the table, pressing a chicken leg to Bright Eyes' mouth, which she gnarls at with her teeth, a tear falling from her eye, as Lola tells her that she better not get too skinny, because then Daddy might not like her anymore. This is a lot, uh, Robin. Yeah. Um, Brent's like, do I have to be here for this? Yeah. I was, well, when they were eating, I was like, so we're just not going to have any? That's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. I enjoy your meal. Yeah. I wasn't hungry. Or I mean, yeah. <laughs> getting knocked out is, is hungry work. But, you know, yeah, I'll just sit here. I'll take some bland ass <laughs> <laughs> No milk, please. <laughs> but Eric looks at Bright Eyes sympathetically as Lola shoves the glass of milk into her mouth, the white liquid cascading down her lips, unable to drink at all. Lola then turns her attention to Brent, asking him with a sadistic grin what he's looking at. Nothing. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might can help me out with that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. As Brent looks away from her, she asks almost seductively if he wants some. Sarcastically, she tells him to open up for the airplane and complete with sound effects and overdramatics. She flies... <laughs> <laughs> She flies the chicken leg to a safe landing on Brent's lips. He pulls away from it, but she presses it into his face, asking him, is it finger licking good? It is actually let my fingers loose so I can lick them. <laughs> I'll show I'll you. I'll show yeah. you. She repeats it slower for him, enunciating every word, frustrated that he won't eat it. But the entire tone of this ordeal shifts when Eric stands up to retrieve something from the sink behind Brent. He sits back down at the head of the table, and we see that he's grabbed a hammer. Brent eyes it, and Lola leans closer to him, asking him more sweetly this time, Is it finger licking good? Brent hesitates to try the chicken, and Eric's reaction is to bash the table with the hammer, insinuating Brent's punishment if he doesn't take a bite. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Bright eyes is like, eat the chicken, yeah. dude. <laughs> Brent reluctantly nods that the chicken is finger licking good, but Lola drops the chicken leg on the table, presenting her finger to Brent's lips and ordering him to show her. Oh, your finger? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Ari. But I think there's a point towards like, I'm not going to let you want, I'm not going to kill these people for you. And you're, if you, you're doing this shit on your own, you got to stop. <laughs> the guy I'm walked in. Yeah, you you, you got to cut, cut that your out. Your zombie friend and your kidnapped the boy. No. And the yeah, fact we, that he's like, oh, he's not doing exactly what you want. Let me get the hammer. Yeah. Like, let me, let me be the, fuck? the muscle. Here come the hammer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say there is an entire backstory for Eric that it was just left out of the film completely. Yeah. And again, like we had mentioned, if it's like this idea of a prequel or something, potentially. Yeah, yeah. But it explains the dynamic completely. Okay. Can you tell us now or do we need to wait? I think we have to wait. Because okay. I read a backstory for Bright Eyes. Huh. But I, I we got to wait. All right. And I was like, I would love 
to get any of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would really love a backstory for the dad because what the fuck? Yeah. But Brent lowly mutters and Lola puts her ear to his lips, asking what he's trying to say. His raspy voice is understood by Lola as toilet. She looks back to her father, but then returns to Brent, telling him that he can't use the toilet until he shows her, presenting her finger to his lips once again. After Brent hesitates again, Lola shouts, show me. She shoves her finger into his mouth, telling him to suck it. Once he does, Lola really seems to enjoy it quite a lot. Your dad is right there, dude. Yeah. And look, he he launches up from the table. Yes. And he looks jealous. Yeah, that's the way I took it. I was like, what is this dynamic? And how the fuck, this is my stop. Yeah. How do I get the fuck off the spot? <laughs> yeah. Can you just kill me, please? Yeah. <laughs> Can you just end it now? <laughs> please. But Lola removes her finger from Brent's mouth and asks if he still needs to use the toilet. She asks playfully if it's ones or twos. He nods when Lola asks again if it's ones. She then returns to the table, downing her glass of milk with a satisfied, ah, and then drops down to Brent's lap, unzipping his pants and holding the glass in front of him. It's the damnedest thing. Like, I don't even need to go anymore. Like, that's weird, right? I don't ever have to go again. (laughs) But when Brent doesn't immediately fill the glass, Lola asks him if he was telling Porky Pies and urges Eric to bring the hammer. Eric is more than happy to oblige. He steps over, leaning in closely to Brent, telling him, I killed your dog with this. Lola suggests a nail to accompany the hammer, telling Brent that he has 10 seconds to go or daddy's going to nail it to the chair. I thought his dog was stabbed. Yeah. 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 That's not. Well, I mean, if it's that, I mean, I don't want to get into the details of dog murder. Yeah, I guess. But imagine if he had said he had to poop. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. She gives him the chicken box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't know. He's nail his booty hole in the chair. <laughs> with that he's, like, he's like, it's a void. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Explain that, yeah. Lola. Scientifically, how are you going to do this? <laughs> but Lola begins the count, agonizingly starting with a sing songy one, two, as Eric waits excitedly to bring the hammer down. Brent tries to force his entire body through his peep. And it's only, <laughs> it's only when Lola reaches nine that he finally starts to urinate. <laughs> His eyes cross as he fills the glass and Lola tells him it's crying. Oh, good Lord. And offers to kiss it better. I'm sure this is a kink somewhere. For someone. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not shaming that. But this was a little, the situation right now, this is not what it's needs to be going much. on. Yeah. That's, t- <laughs> this is too much for, I just, Brent, how do you even handle all this? You, yeah. you don't. Yeah. You don't. That's why something, I'll, I'll say it in a minute, but something that he, uh, I'll say it in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I did read too that Robin McLevy said that this was the hardest scene for her to film. I get that. The whole yeah. pee situation. And I, yeah, I get it but her head dips below the frame before she returns with anger, suggesting instead that maybe she should bite it off so that Holly can never kiss it again. What happened? Yeah. She's mad about earlier. (laughs) But 
point two seconds of was she like oh that's right <laughs> yeah, I no, saw this I, thing get, yeah, <laughs> I was peeping at you <laughs> I saw this D get S earlier oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> the very the very D <laughs> I look here's the thing I feel like again it would have been much better if she heard something mean yeah when yeah. she's at the window when this was happening yeah. yeah and maybe she could repeat it here or yeah because. Yeah, they were really just having a good time, and they had nothing to do with it. Oh, Nicole, yeah. It's got the, what was it, main character energy we said? Yeah. yeah. Like, you need to calm down. Yes. <laughs> but Brent summons all of his strength and anger, lifting both feet from the floor and kicking Lola straight in the ribs, sending her forcefully into the table. He unwraps his restraints on his wrists, hopping away and outside as Eric tends to his wounded princess. That was bold. Yeah. <laughs> he kicked the shit out of her. He did. I got it. I got to just everything that happens during this little like getaway attempt. Yeah. Is so goddamn frustrating. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because there is no reason why he shouldn't be at home in like 15 minutes, like <laughs> yeah. eating a bag of Doritos or something. <laughs> Sending the police to the stone house. <laughs> like I'm fucking pissed. I hate it. <laughs> That's too far. He's like, Mom, do we have any chicken with flavor? <laughs> yeah. I saw these weirdos eating some, like, fucking, it was bad, Mom. And milk as the washdown. <laughs> drink, they call it. Can you have- <laughs> Not the washdown. <laughs> He's like, Mom, can you imagine? Like, That's the worst part of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Milk. But outside, Eric follows Brent in pursuit turning on the headlights of his car and looking around the property confused when Brent is nowhere in sight. He climbs into the driver's seat of his car and we see that Brent is underneath it, sawing away at his restraints on his legs with his razor blade necklace. He frees himself and rolls out from under the car as Eric puts it in reverse. Brent rests on the ground against a tree, falling right within the beam of Eric's headlights. Eric smiles having found him and puts the car into drive, the score pounding as he pursues Brent through the yard. Brent plows through hanging laundry as he clumsily runs through the grass, eventually climbing a tree, which Eric drives into at a low speed. <laughs> that was very funny to me that he like barely took his foot off the like, yeah. brake. I was like, why did you do that for? You did not need it. No. This, this whole thing was very weird, and I always have a problem with... <laughs> with people not zigzagging yeah i yeah. think that it's trauma it's game of thrones trauma i don't know what it is but to run in a straight line with the car coming right behind you it's very frustrating and then you scramble up a tree. yeah <laughs> dude if that bothers Jump you the fucking fence wait until we cover prometheus <laughs> there oh, is no. dude you're gonna you're gonna take off a point i think zigzag that's all yeah. zigzag that's all I will say I didn't know if this was supposed to be a bit of symmetry with what happened at the beginning of the film. Okay. Okay. But it would only, I mean, Eric has no way of knowing that, really. I'm yeah. so stupid. I was like, when he climbed that tree. Yeah, <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> yeah you remember. <laughs> but Eric steps out of the car, surveying the damage of his front bumper before gazing up into the tree for Brent. Lola rushes out with a flashlight, tripping over her new heels and asking her father what happened. Eric asks where Bright Eyes is, and Lola assures him that she's in her room and can't get out, but she then shines the light up into the tree and asks again where Brent is. In a matter of seconds, she finds him sitting in the middle of the tree, and Eric urges his daughter to keep the light on Brent as he begins to chuck rocks up at him, missing his target over and over again. 
Lola switches it up, handing her father the flashlight as she takes turns throwing rocks at Brent. After a few misses, she cackles wildly at how fun it is, I guess. But (laughs) with one proper shot, she strikes Brent across the cheek and he comes tumbling after, hitting the hood of Eric's car on the way down. There are giant branches in the way of you getting hit by rocks. Yeah. They aren't even trying to <laughs> come around <laughs> the other side no. of the tree. They're throwing it from here. It's like, were yeah. you sticking your head out? Yeah. Know what's going on on this side? <laughs> you don't have to see. Like, it's not this, part of it. This whole thing was frustrating to the point where I'm almost like, why did you let him get loose at all? Yeah. Okay. Because... Come on. I think it would have been better if maybe you hit him with the car. And what or that right. what's no, what's yeah. funny to me is that Eric didn't even seem to be trying that hard. No. <laughs> and when he went outside, Lola was still in, so it's not even like there were two of them chasing him. I don't know. This part just did not work for me at all. It wasn't even one of those like, oh, he almost got away, or like they're so cunning they caught no. It was just like no, I, I agree because it, it is. And I think there's another one of one of these moments later for me uh-huh. that I'm like, what happened? You you had it. Yeah, you had everything. Yeah. And you you were gone. You fumbled the ball. Yeah, What happened? And the fence is not very tall. No, not at all. No. The tree is enough to launch yourself off. Yeah. yeah. You're in the neighbor's yard now bang on doors Take anything. Off. yeah something but instead he's just like what's what's that is that a yeah. oh god <laughs> and then you're done you're down good night but brent is taken back inside where he's tied up once again to the chair at the dining room table lola watches brent furious over his escape as eric removes brent's shoes and socks all of the sound drains out of the room as eric presses the tip of a knife onto brent's foot raising the hammer and bringing it down into the handle securing brent to the floor His scream is nothing more than a raspy howl as he writhes in pain. So this is one thing that I did mean to mention earlier, Mm -hmm. but this is what Byrne was talking about as far as Xavier Samuel's performance being through his eyes and through his facial expressions Mm -hmm. because he doesn't really talk for the rest of the film. No. He can't. So it's, it's pretty impressive. And I will say that sound is, it it is uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. But Eric silently motions Lola over to Brent, and she straddles him, sitting on his lap to keep him still. Eric continues his hammering, remarking that boys shouldn't hit girls. Brent turns away from Lola, but she brushes his hair back with her fingers and in a sing-song way, urges him to cry. Eric's handiwork still in process, loud banging noises heard as he strikes the knife again, Brent turns to face Lola gritting his teeth, glaring into her eyes, and not shedding a single tear as she screams for him over and over to cry. This is what I was talking about earlier, about his, I guess, restraint or resolve. And I admire it because these eyes do not listen like that. Oh, no. The chest is crumbling and these eyes are, we're crying. You you said you wanted tears, right? Yeah. (laughs) Is that going to get me out of this? If I cry, will you let me go? But it's not going to make you matter, right? It's it's not stopping. Once it started, it is not stopping. But Eric raises the hammer one more time and bringing it down, tells Brent that this one's for his Kingswood. That's his car. Yeah, mm. but he he lightly tapped the tree with it. He Nobody did, did yeah. anything but you. And you, uh, yeah, you yeah. did that. But maybe it's a company car. And because no, when I, he got out, he was like, no, 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 no. He did. He checked the car before he <laughs> left up the tree. <laughs> <laughs>
But as Eric brings the hammer down, Brent's bright pane is match cut to a beaming flashlight outside in the wilderness, where the light finds Brent's abandoned cell phone, his pipe, and a baggie of pot resting on the ground. That's concerning, because he's not just going to leave his pot out there. No, fuck no. What's the battery on this phone, man? (laughs) It was still playing the music that he was listening to previously. (laughs) (laughs) I was just impressed. That's all. (laughs) I do have to be so specific. I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to say, A, that's concerning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, B, shout out to the cop for actually taking it seriously and going yeah. out there. Yes, yes. When he's already, I mean, we've established that Brenton has, I'm assuming, kind of run away before. Mm-hmm. But he still went out at night, went out there, checked. Like, I appreciated that. Yeah, that I, I know it's a small thing, but it is something that we don't see a lot of. It yeah. always just pass by and then will pan over to something in the grass that they missed or mm-hmm. whatever. That's true, too. Yeah. yeah, and for him actually finding it. That is true. Yeah. But back at Brent's house, Holly takes care of Carla, making her a cup of tea as she sits by the window, and a clock ticks incessantly in the background. Holly sits across from Carla, and after a beat, Carla shares that Brent thinks that she blames him for the accident. Holly asks if she actually does, but Carla doesn't answer holding her hand to her face, and we see the gold band of her wedding ring resting on her finger. It's sad, man, yeah. but it's like, fuck. Mm-hmm. They're promptly interrupted by a knock on the door, and when Carla opens it, she sees that it's Paul with a worried look on his face. Carla looks down to see that Paul is holding an evidence bag of Brent's belongings. We see the cell phone, the headphones, his bag of pot, and his pipe from the cliff or ridge or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i thought paul's like look whenever we find brent we are gonna have to arrest him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is a leak. he is in some serious trouble <laughs> is it over there i think in some states it is mm. but i don't i don't know much of anything i, yeah. I will probably be correct <laughs> i don't know much of i don't well we've operated this entire episode under the assumption that it's yeah. not legal so oh true true yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to get a lot of emails. (laughs) (laughs) But back at the Stones place, Lola shows off an old drawing that she made when she was younger. Two figures holding hands drawn in red. A short figure with long hair, which Lola says is her, is holding hands with a taller man who she doesn't reveal the identity of. I'm assuming that's her father. Yeah. Yeah. But she flips through the pages of her scrapbook, pointing to a picture of Keir Willis, played by Gulliver McGrath, on a missing child poster. Stars are drawn around his eyes in red, the photos scrawled with writing promising pain, and a facetious apology in a word bubble pointed to Kier's smiling mouth, which is also dripping red with ink. Lola says that Kier was such a baby, and she flips to a Polaroid of herself when she was a child, played by Stevie Answorth, wearing a princess outfit, and standing next to her is Kier. Yeah, I don't think we're getting out of this. No. Yeah. She points herself out in the photo, smiling that it's her again. When Brent doesn't return this smile, she turns the page to another missing child poster, this one for Duncan Fletcher, played by Liam Duxbury. She jokes that Duncan wet himself, and Eric shares a laugh with her too. She says it was so funny, but then she points Brent's attention to another Polaroid, this one with a young Lola standing next to Duncan, who sits shirtless in a chair, vacant and emotionless. Streaks of blood mar his torso, and carved into the center of his chest is a heart and the initials 
L-S. Why are you laughing at him for wetting himself? I thought you liked that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But we see at the center of his forehead, just like bright eyes, is a circular wound. Only this one is fresh and spilling blood down the center of his face. The Polaroid has two words written in the blank space at the bottom. Ha, ha. She's the Joker. (laughs) (laughs) Lola repeats chuckling that Duncan peed his pants. She quickly flips past a page dedicated to Reese Agnew, played by Igor Savin, calling him boring, but finally reaches the page she was looking for. The one who, she says, got away. It's Timmy Valentine, played by Stephen Walden. And we see his photo, complete with a knife drawn in and pointed at his head, a circle of blood at the center of his forehead, just like she drew on Brent's photo earlier, and a word bubble pointed at Timmy's mouth, spouting, I am a liar. I tell lies, 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 lies. (laughs) That's what most liars do. Yeah, Um, at least he's honest about it. It's a direct quote. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like these guys did something. Yes. To upset her and or her father. Mm -hmm. Again, Brent doesn't fit into this category. Not at all. Not at all. That's why it's so like just literally one line in that scene. Yeah. Even a line that could be taken wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I'm loyal to my girlfriend. Loyal, loyal, loyal. loyal. (laughs) He's honest too. That's a direct. (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly what he said. And I will say it is kind of funny. The name Valentine is a little on the nose. It is. Yeah. (laughs) I appreciate it. Yeah. I've met, I've met a person with a surname Valentine. Okay. Yeah. I have. Okay. Yeah. I he was, believe he you. was a saint. No, I'm just kidding. All right. No, I really did. Was his first Not name a saint. His first name's Cupid. Yes. <laughs> but Brent glances over at the next page, which features a newspaper clipping with the headline reading Policeman's Family in Despair Following Son's Disappearance. The headline is proper, but the lead could use some work, I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) Copy editors, the habits die hard. (laughs) They don't die. They don't. The lead would work better as a subhead is all I'm trying to say. (laughs) But the wheels begin to turn in Brent's head and a memory returns to him. That dismal day on the road with his father, the boy in the center of the road, the one he swerved to miss. It was Timmy Valentine, shirtless, shoeless, covered in blood, and a heart carved in the center of his chest. This realization would work a lot better if he had forgotten it. Yeah. Yeah. And if he had said, you know, I don't, and then it's like, oh my God. Yeah. That did happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I will say it, it also gives away a lot of uh, the what is coming later. Yeah. yeah. Kind of negating an entire subplot and the length of it. Yeah. Okay. But Lola assumes that Timmy's probably dead by now and quickly flips the page to who she refers to as our lucky last. And we see the page that she was creating earlier with Brent's photo, now complete with the proper prom Polaroids that Eric took at the start of their evening. I love that she's already added them into the scrapbook. Yeah. That was Dude. funny. Like she took a break from what was going on tonight to go put those in there. That's funny. It is. I think when Eric ran out to the tree, she's like, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be right with you. I got to show this to him when you bring him back in. But Lola clicks her tongue and points at Brent's photo as the camera presses in. She smiles at Brent and Eric looks at him with anger in his eyes. Why are you mad at me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, 
I just don't understand what the dad wants right now. Again, it would work a lot better if he had said some shit. She told her dad that he said right, some shit. Right, right. Yeah. And then here we are. Yeah. And he's like, you said this about my daughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because she could have written what he said yes. on the page, but he didn't do anything. She just drew a heart. That was it. Like, I like to get blowies in the parking lot. All right. Thinner, 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 thinner. All right. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> but Lola then turns to her father, revealing that she's ready to draw on Brent now. But back at the school, Jamie and Mia are still smoking together in the parking lot. I look, I understand what's going on right now is like the hesitance of them not going inside because of what we learn later. Yeah. But I feel like at least for our understanding, wouldn't this have worked better if they were supposed to meet Holly and Brent and they're waiting on them to go inside? Oh yeah, it would. Okay. I mean, yeah. You and that's pregame like, before you go in, though. Yeah, yeah but, but I, and I'm like, okay, and I love this for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I'm assuming that this is being used to break up the tension and the horror that's happening at Lola's house. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I get. But it's like, we're just flashing back to them smoking and drinking in the car. Yeah, that's it. And again, it, I don't, it feels to me, and this is not the case, and we're going to get to the reveal probably pretty soon, but. I'm like, is she trying to work herself up to do something? Is she friends with Lola? Ah. Are we, is this some kind of like uh, end of school dance pact? Because the way that he was looking at her, he's like longing for her. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's like, hey, you want to go to the dance? And she's like, yeah. Like that was unexpected. It's a little bit like we're leading to something that's going to happen between the two of them. And spoiler alert, I, you don't get that. Yeah. See, for me, I this was I understand that this fits in later and we all you know what I mean? We do whatever. Mm -hmm. But for me, I'm just panning back and forth. And my note is this dude's having a fabulous fucking time. Yeah. And your homeboy is getting fucked up. Yeah. It's like, dude, I'm just seeing you going back and forth. And it is almost like a comedy break. From what's going on. And again, I get the juxtaposition because he said that, again, that's what he loved about Tarantino is mm-hmm. the dark comedy interspliced with, you know, Tarantino-esque ultraviolence. Yeah, yeah. But can they be doing something else? Like, yeah. like, you know, I don't I don't know. It's just like, OK, you guys are still in the car. Them waiting on Brent and Holly would make sense to why they're still in the car. Yeah. But it's like, I'm kind of sick of just watching them party in the car. I'm sorry. <laughs> and honestly, you drove to the school to what? Get caught smoking? Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Wait, like go, you know, I don't know. It just, it just doesn't fit. And I'm waiting for these plot lines to intersect. Yeah. Right. And then when they do, it's in a very unsatisfying way. I think yes. that, I, I think that. But in quick cuts, Jamie just continues to fall deeper in love with Mia. But he finally asks her if they should go inside. Mia just continues smoking and asks if Jamie is already sick of her. He tells her that he isn't, but he just figured that maybe they should eat something. She blows smoke at him, and after taking another puff, tells him to come closer and that she'll feed him. And in a tight shot, he leans closer to her, and she blows her smoke into his opened mouth. Again, I love that for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it did make me laugh because he's like, shouldn't we go inside? Do you think people are sick of watching us? <laughs> <laughs> I think the fourth cutaway was too much. <laughs> In the 79 minute picture. <laughs> but back at the Stones house, Lola wields a bloody fork and we see Brent exhausted from pain, drool dripping from his mouth. 
In a low angle shot, we see Lola and Eric from Brent's point of view, standing before him, admiring Lola's work, the disco ball symmetrically balanced between them. This reminded me, Lola's like, you know what, Dad? I think this just might be my masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked, and it's funny, Inglorious Bastards came out the same year. That's great. Oh, okay. Um, a fork, though? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, look, I will not begrudge an artist of their materials. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but goddamn. Yeah. I think maybe we could have used uh, something. Anything. Yeah, yeah. Not, a, not a fork. But Eric tells his daughter that her drawing gets better every time. We see her artistry on display with Brent's shirt torn off of him and resting at his tied wrists. His torso is raw, bloody, and carved. A heart is scarred angrily into his flesh with Lola's initials at its center. But adding insult to injury, Eric begins whipping salt at Brent's fresh wound. Talk more to reference incoming. Like a younger JP used to (laughs) whip ink at his teachers for some reason. It was fun. (laughs) He's like, no, I have a reason. (laughs) It's like, but this is sadistic. Yeah, this is a little too Yeah, there was no open wounds. Yeah, there was. (laughs) Just ruined shirts. Yeah, I (laughs) know. But Lola jokes that Eric shouldn't use too much because it's supposed to be bad for you. Are we doing dad jokes right now? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, dad, that counts as assault. (laughs) (laughs) But she snatches the salt from her father, taking off the lid and smiles a sadistic grin at Brent in slow motion before absolutely dousing him with the salt. Her wielding the salt is appropriate because she is giving Veruca. (laughs) (laughs) Fair, very fair. She is. (laughs) That hurt just looking at it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I will say this moment is much more successful for me than a similar moment from a recent sequel that we'll probably talk about at some point. Oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was fucking ridiculous. Too. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to it. Yay. <laughs> but Brent shrieks a shallow scream through his ruined throat, and the editing seems to match his pain-induced delirium. Quick cuts and flashing lights like something out of a Saw film Accompany his writhing movements as Lola and Eric chant over and over at him, We can't hear you. It made me think of, and that's when the acid kicked in. This was uh, this was very for me. I did. I was like, God damn, dude, is this? He's just fucked up. So much pain. So much. Water. He's like, I don't. What's real? What is this really happening? I think, and this is the point for me again, where it it really dives into that like torture film kind of a situation. Yeah, where I'm like, it's not even as if. And again, you can when it comes to Carrie, uh-huh. and you see what happens at prom, and you're like, God damn. Well, I mean. You know, and you, you're kind of conflicted because you're like, maybe not that far, but yeah. Yeah. I, I do get it. But with him, it's like he has done nothing wrong. No. And so for the whatever, 10, 18, 15 minutes that aren't set in this house. Yeah. We just have to watch this dude get tortured for the entire runtime of the film. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> we've already watched him experience such loss yeah. and have to shoulder the guilt of that and like... A strained relationship. Like, he, he, it's just fucked up, dude. Yeah, yeah it just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, get a fucking break. But back at Brent's house, Holly makes her way into his bedroom. The light pouring in from the hallway, she sits on his bed in the dark, picking up a greeting card that she finds on his comforter. 
On the front of the card is a picture of Humpty Dumpty sitting in front of a small wall of brick. Inside is a note written by Brent. Thanks for doing what all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't. I love you. XXX. That was... That's so sad. And so there it is. And then I guess for the next 20 minutes, we got to get watch the shit get (laughs) stomped out of him or whatever. It's like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Can we just like, I, I just have nothing, dude. I'm empty. (laughs) Watch the shit get (laughs) stomped. Well, it's a crazy. lot of things. Yeah. yeah. It's not fair. Like, if you thought that was bad, wait. Yeah. But Holly's eyes peer closer at the three words at the bottom, written in all capital letters and underlined I love you. Her chin quivers as tears fill her eyes, and we see Carla sitting in the darkness of the living room, the camera pressing in on her solemn eyes as well. But in the parking lot of the high school, Jamie once again suggests that he and Mia go inside. Mia nods in agreement, but as soon as she opens the door, she clatters to the asphalt. Jamie rushes to lift her to her feet, and they head toward the entrance together. But we then hear the voice of Eric Stone, announcing this year's Queen of the Dance. Lola performs a drum roll on the dining room table in anticipation as Eric opens an invisible envelope in hand. He is shocked to read the results. (laughs) Folks, this year's queen of the dance is Lola Stone. What? No way. Get the fuck out of oh here. Oh my God. They Congrats, were, Lola. Yeah. They stuffed the ballot box. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Lola responds with sincere surprise, raising her blood-covered hands to her face before raising a party blower to her lips and blowing it. Eric blows one as well, but they turn their attention to Brent. Lola tells him, Blow your whistle, King. And we see him sitting at the table as well, his suit jacket hanging at his shoulders, his chest still bare and bloody, a party blower in his mouth, and a paper crown on his head over his sweaty and matted hair. When he doesn't blow his whistle, Lola threatens to sick her father on him, so he weakly exhales into the party blower, and after it slowly unrolls without a sound, Lola tells her father to crown her. We then see Lola sitting, moving her hair from her shoulders as dreamlike music plays and the camera presses in on her face, her eyes filled with wonder as Eric places a tissue paper crown on her head as pink as her entire ensemble. Now wearing a golden crown himself, Eric snaps a photo of the dance king and queen, Lola standing at the side of the very wounded and very vacant Brent. I feel like this, the slow motion shot, I feel like a lot of these, it's like, oh, well, this is something that will stick with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very memorable and very just, I don't know, the way that it's done, her bloody hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's all these things that are going to stick in your memory Mm -hmm. from watching this film. Oh, yeah. But Lola's bloody finger then presses play on her boom box and we hear the arpeggiated chords of Oh So Lonesome For You by Pete Molinari. But we dip down from a proper disco ball at the high school dance finding young couples swaying slowly to the somber and sentimental song as light reflects all around the room. We find Mia clinging tightly to Jamie, but her hands begin to wander. Other students watch with varied reactions of shock, laughter, and disgust as Mia reaches for Jamie's crotch and starts to tug him quite painfully through his pants, it seems. (laughs) seems. (laughs) Well, he groans and stuff. He wasn't enjoying it. 
or maybe uh, he was enjoying it, but he's like, yeah. dude, we're fucking, <laughs> not here. are you crazy? I think he's embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> when people are like, yeah. like, um, eyes popping out of their heads, yeah. staring at him. But Mia makes eye contact with an uncredited student, asking her what the fuck she's looking at. She was staring really hard. Yeah. How can you not, dude? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fair. You're trying to get down right here on the dance floor, Mia. <laughs> it's surprising. <laughs> not dance floors were for getting down. Yeah. Not this way. <laughs> <laughs> it's distracting to witness. <laughs> but a teacher, played by Leo Taylor, approaches the couple, telling Mia that if she wants to do that, he suggests she goes somewhere else, which is a very surprising reprimand. I yeah. was... He was very patient with them. Yeah. I was really surprised that we used to always joke about the teacher's hand coming down (laughs) on your shoulder and they're like, come with me. (laughs) I thought there would be a lot more to pay than than just go fuck outside. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. I feel like, well, this is the end of the year formal. So he's like, I have no domain. Yeah. yeah, and they're going to do it anyway. Yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm sick of this. Yeah. I'm tired of it. <laughs> Go. Not in my school. <laughs> but Mia storms off, and after smiling embarrassed at the teacher, Jamie follows after her. Yeah, you better. Yeah, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but back at the stone place, Not Pretty Enough plays once again, and Lola attempts to dance with a shaking and now glitter-covered and tuxedo-clad Brent. So you really like this song, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we get married to songs. I was going like, to say, I always I'll have a hyperfixation song in rotation. Exactly. So I can't even talk shit. You're judging. And <laughs> I'm gonna What's list- a dance? There I'm going to listen variety. to Glory yeah. Box by, <laughs> by wow. Portishead. <laughs> Targeted. Well, I know you, dude. We all got them. We all got them. <laughs> but as the camera pulls back, we see that Eric is raining glitter down on them. And Lola shares that when she finds her prince, this is the song that she's going to dance to at their wedding. But Lola admits that Brent isn't her prince. He's just another frog. The fuck, dude? (laughs) (laughs) Are you serious? I've done nothing to you. I tried to escape once. That's the only thing. Yeah, but who could blame me for that? I was playing hard to get. (laughs) But she punctuates this realization with a stomp to the knife that's pinning Brent's foot to the floor. She watches the unimaginable pain register on Brent's face before stepping away from him and approaching her father, asking him, Dance with me, Daddy? Brent watches as Eric eagerly accepts Lola's invitation, and they slowly take their positions and begin to slow dance together. With the two of them distracted, Brent reaches into his back pocket to retrieve his razor blade necklace, but accidentally drops it on the seat behind him. Nothing has ever fallen louder. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) With Eric lost in Lola's eyes, Brent quietly tries to pick it up. The camera presses in on the dancing pair, Lola admitting that Eric is her prince, and that's why she can't find one she likes. She tells him that it's always been him, just the two of them. She closes her eyes and slowly leans in for a kiss. Eric closes his eyes, trying to resist, but he begins to lean in as well. But before they can kiss, Brent crumbles into his seat, which gets their attention. He's like, I'm trying to get the razor blade to escape. Yeah. <laughs> like, please, I can't be here for this. Don't. Yeah, please. I was, oh God, this is so fucking gross. It, it is. Even the guy that's tied up, bleeding, and beat up with his feet nailed to the floor is like, I can't watch <laughs> I this. I can't game. do yeah. this. Like, I don't want to watch this. 
But elsewhere, Holly arrives home with a police escort from Paul. The two get out of their vehicles, Holly thanking him for it. Paul says that he's contacted Search and Rescue, and they'll be there in the morning. He tells Holly to ring him if she needs anything at all, and assures her that they'll find Brent. We see her later inside her house, Holly sitting on the edge of her bed in the dark and attempting to make a phone call to her mother, who is currently overseas, if you recall. I know. I was mm-hmm. like, and she's alone on top of everything else. Yeah. I was kind of surprised that she didn't just stay with Carla. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But after only getting her mother's answering machine, she says that she's sure that she's asleep, considering what time it is over there, and that she'll try again later. But after Holly hangs up, she surveys photographs on her wall, presumably of her and Brent, because we don't get a close-up or anything, but she bursts into tears. She's very sad. Yes. <laughs> but back at the stones, the trio's still wearing their crowns. Eric hacks the head off of the roadkill that they scooped up earlier, while Lola just stands there at Brent's side, laughing childishly at him. Eric tosses the dead animal, now headless, over to Lola, who holds it by its tail before joining her father at the center of the living room. With their backs turned, Brent continues sawing away at his restraints, but he watches as Eric tears a rug from the floor that not only tied the room together, (laughs) but hid a large hatch. He bends down to unlock it, and he and Lola open the doors on either side to a very secret cellar. As soon as they do, a chorus of raspy screams and shrieks startle Brent. Eric and Lola stand at the edge, Eric pouring water from a bucket down into the abyss below, remarking, Drinky, drinky. Lola dangles the roadkill over the hole, urging the victims inside to sing for their supper, and when their creaking, cacophonous calls aren't good enough, Lola urges them to sing louder, and they do. So now we got a dungeon of monsters? What the fuck? I have... You guys keep monsters down there? Yeah. (laughs) What is happening? This is the worst night of my life. Yeah. Yeah. But this is where I, I see more of the Evil Dead influence. Okay. For sure. Where you open up a cellar and there's a monster down there. Yeah. Thank <laughs> 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 you. <Some, laughs> yeah, I thought I could help. I guess. No. <laughs> and there's a well, monster that does down happen. There. It yeah. does, yeah. It does. It's very important. As a, you know, mm-hmm. typical. <laughs> but we then see Jamie and Mia pulling over on the side of the road in a seemingly secluded area. Jamie shuts off the car, killing the music. And after a few seconds of silence, Mia leans over to kiss Jamie passionately, telling him very coarsely to have sex with her. We then see Eric stepping out of the Stones' house, approaching something in slow motion, before cutting to a POV shot of someone approaching the fogged-up windows of Jamie's car. Mia and Jamie are in the back seat of his car, completely naked and making it sweet, when there's suddenly a knock on the car window. Startled, Mia climbs off of Jamie, and he covers himself with his jacket, wiping the steam away from the window to see it's the teacher from the dance. The teacher tells them sternly, when I said to go somewhere else, I meant off of school property. Of course you did. (laughs) Yeah, but it couldn't wait. It couldn't wait. (laughs) Leaving the dance, no, getting kicked out of the dance for groping, Mm -hmm. and then going outside to fucking the parking lot is wild behavior. When the time arises, there is no none of that. Let's wait. Let's fuck that. But we see them drive away and park. So is the teacher like the the fucking Terminator or whatever? (laughs) 
they probably went from one side of the parking lot to the other. That's wild. Yeah. They were like, nobody's over here. This yeah. was brilliant editing, though, because I was like, why are they parked outside of their house? Yeah. Uh-huh. I have to admit, I feel like no matter what the result was, I was going to complain. <laughs> just frankly because if it if it was finally connecting the b plot part of that is good okay yeah yeah but then you're like why the fuck would you park there unless lola told or unless uh mia told him to okay, because in my yeah. mind i was still operating under the fact that both of these boys are gonna get fucked up tonight right and not in the fun way like jamie <laughs> like yeah. in the bad way like brent yeah <laughs> all right (laughs) i but then again you know what i mean i do because the dad was it seemed like he's walking right toward their car yes yeah but then again the other negative side of it is to say oh so i guess we're still not doing anything with this yeah yeah and also like what we learned from not only brent's memory but lola's scrapbook we already know who timmy valentine is yeah. yeah. So uh, we're just waiting for this payoff that has already been paid off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. That's true. <laughs> but we then see what Eric was really after a rust covered toolbox that he brings inside to his daughter. Still holding the roadkill by the tail, Lola stares into Brent's eyes, telling him that he's her first drilling. Eric retrieves the drill from his kit, instructing Lola that the trick is to not go too far, just enough to break through the skull. The reflected light of the disco ball still swirling around them, Eric asks if Lola knows how to turn it on. Lola responds that she isn't stupid and gives it a few words as proof. Brent's face is just like, okay, yeah, a drill. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like He's just like, fuck it. Like, well, What's next? Isn't this, I? It, but it's also kind of giving like Firefly family too, right? Yeah, I can see that. Like I remember on the Devil's Rejects where they're like, fuck you, no, fuck you or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> this is who kills they're us? They're dysfunctional. <laughs> she orders her father to remove the king's crown and he does, tearing it from Brent's head and crumpling it in his hands before tossing it away. He holds Brent still as he starts to struggle against him, and Lola, very suspensefully and agonizingly, inches her way forward with the drill whirring, its bits spinning and hungry for a home in Brent's forehead. The tension rises until she finally reaches Brent, but the drill just scrapes his forehead and doesn't go through. Lola appears confused, and her father reminds her that she has to push harder, and suggests that she uses two hands to hold the drill and cradle it into her body for better control. I feel like these moments are like the, I got a name, like Jim Croce moments where like a father is teaching his yeah. kids. And it, it it's it's like a perversion of that. Yeah. yeah. These, this is more successful to me. Okay. For, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Where he's like, no, you got to hold it with both hands mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, this is fucking wild. Well, it's yeah. kind of like, um, don't forget to help me with the eyes. Like, yeah. It's, it's yeah. like, yeah, you're doing dad shit, but mm-hmm. like, what are y'all doing? Yeah. Yeah, spending time. You know, yeah. quality time with the kids. <laughs> Moving me down the highway. <laughs> <laughs> but the drill now more secure in her grasp, Lola squeezes the trigger and Brent watches in horror as it gets closer and closer to his flesh. Lola finally reaches his forehead, the drill tearing through his skin as she presses it in deeper, bit by bit, and smoke begins to rise from the fresh wound. 
Brent screeches a scream that stays stuck in his throat, and after what feels like an eternity, the drill finally breaks through his skull, and Eric tells his daughter to stop. Blood pours down Brent's face, and Eric admires Lola's first drilling as perfect. I did not think the drill was going to go in. No, that yeah. I thought that something was going to happen at the very last minute, and he was going to be spared of this Mm -hmm. at least and that just did not happen and now he's looking like that andrew wk album and he's not he's not happy about it (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's not pleased i would say (laughs) he is straight up not having a good time he does not party hard but (laughs) i i think that for me the thing with this is that it is kind of a subversion of what you think is going to happen. Right. And maybe they did give that to us with her stopping for a second. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, this is happening. Yeah. yeah. But the difficulty for me is like, God damn, we sit there for like 30 minutes. Yeah. It's hard to watch. And when it's smoking and you're just like, yeah, no, yeah. we're still here. We're still here. Yeah. <laughs> we are still here. Yes, That's that is true. true. Um, yeah, I was going to talk about um, Jigsaw's brain surgery, but I feel like we've done that <laughs> enough. So We've referenced. <laughs> uh, it's a little different than that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just going to be quiet. That was a doctor. Yeah. Personally, yeah. <laughs> he kidnapped a doctor. And they were helping him. Yes, they were. There were a lot of differences with that, huh? <laughs> There's actually no overlap here. <laughs> These films were written by Australian yeah. men. <laughs> that's what, that's, about it. that's, that's what I was getting to. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you were. but brent sits there his eyes appearing as if the lights are on but no one's home memories flash before his eyes his father smiling next to him in the passenger seat six months ago from the camera's perspective oddly his mother worried to tears about holly driving him to the dance tonight brushing the hair behind holly's ear as they were sweetly kissing earlier today each memory punctuated by a high-pitched note played on the piano I only pointed that out because that's a pet peeve of mine. Yeah, it is always kind of funny to me when like memories are flashing or whatever, and it's just shit that we've seen. Yeah, <laughs> it's just shit that happened today. It's like, were you having an out of body experience? Yeah, or? like that's because you're in it. I see you. That's yeah. what <laughs> what I did really appreciate about um, the Devil's Rejects was that was clearly them just hanging out or whatever. But that's shit that we had not seen. Yes, right. that's memories that those characters had, mm-hmm. not that we saw. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> But as Lola continues to stare at him, the piano is overtaken by the high-pitched sound of a tea kettle on the stove, which Eric goes to retrieve. I hope that's for tea. I mm, (laughs) Don't get your hopes up. (laughs) Lola assures Brent, it works, you know. It boils your brains and turns you into one of them. I was like, oh, so we're doing Dahmer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's who um, she was tasked to read about. Yeah. Okay. But Brent just gazes up at her as Eric takes the drill from Lola, handing her the kettle of boiling water, ever the parent, telling her, careful, it's hot. He returns to hold Brent in a headlock, Brent's cries merely a creak. Lola arcs the kettle too soon, however, pouring the boiling water on her father's arm. He politely corrects her and she gives it another go. But as she raises it to Brent's forehead again, Worry overtakes her, and she tells her father that the hole is too small and asks him to make it bigger. Never one to deny his daughter of anything, clearly, Eric grabs the drill and holds Brent into his arms. He forces the worrying tool back into Brent's forehead, 
widening the hole until smoke starts to rise yet again. But unbeknownst to Eric, the pain motivates Brent to summon the strength to tear through his compromised restraints. It's like, damn, Dad, you said not too much. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like another 15 God, minutes of it. Yeah. Damn. And again, no help. No. No. And there's no way that you didn't touch a little, a little See, bit of that's, brain. And that's where I get a little. Just a little bit of brain. But if he's done this before, then maybe he knows what he's doing. It doesn't feel like an exact science. (laughs) (laughs) Feels pretty touch and go, (laughs) I'd say. But I mean, I guess because there doesn't seem to be any brain issues going forward. And and that's something that I don't quite understand. I understand. I, I don't know. I just don't understand, I think. Because what happens later, what we see... I feel like it has to be. I'm thinking of what we learned in psychology of the the man with the railroad spike. Yeah. At least his personality would be a little different. I mean, that remains to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> because my next note is, damn, <laughs> what is this kid's brain made out of? <laughs> but I, gu- I guess this was all skull. I guess. Well, yeah, if he's pouring the water in there, I don't think he's trying to damage the brain. I guess not. Just boil it, eh? Yeah. What's wild is that what they're implying is that scrambling is fine, but once yeah. you get a little water in there, that's where we get the real trouble. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, good to know, I guess. Yeah. But we probably shouldn't be taking advice. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. This film, that's very fair. <laughs> <laughs> but Brent lurches up at Eric, which knocks the drill out of his hands, the drill bit scraping Eric across the face. He touches his fingers to the wound and shock, grabbing the hammer as he reaches his feet again. Brent is reaching his feet as well, tearing the knives from the floor out of his feet with a silent shriek and rising up as if back from the dead. Lola calls out to her father, but Brent tosses the drill at Eric's face, knocking him loopy before stabbing his throat feverishly with the knives that once held him to the floor. Lola leaps onto Brent's back and a struggle ensues. They topple over each other, finally landing on the floor where their hands seize each other's throats. Lola, however, reaches up to Brent's face, attempting to jam a finger into his forehead hole, I'm assuming. But Brent <laughs> just punches her repeatedly in the face until she relents. I didn't remember the dad getting the drill to the face. No. So when that happened, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> 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 then he fucking throws it at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, dude. I mean, I probably would have kept it as a weapon. But, yeah. you know, split moment decisions, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Can't really, what is it, Monday morning quarterback? Yeah. yeah. You know what I would have done? <laughs> yeah. Mm, you let go of it? <laughs> Bad form. <laughs> How embarrassing for you. Eric, though, is reaching out his hand and screeching like the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> <laughs> and this gets Brent's attention. He approaches him, seizing him by the jacket and tossing him into the cellar at the center of the room. The feral victims of the Stone family waste no time going all waste not, want not, and immediately begin feeding on the face of Eric. I will say, for all the horrible torture that we watch Brent endure, mm-hmm. this is very muted. Yeah. yeah. I think because we don't see anything. Nothing. We, we do see it from the top, but they're obscuring the view. Yeah. So we really don't see anything. I'll be honest. I kind of feel like everything with all the like Gollum dudes down there is very subdued. Yeah. <laughs> Gollum dudes. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure they don't appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> the view from above, they looked like a bunch of golems. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like you said, comparatively to what we've seen with the 
the you know diy stigmata and, and everything else you know it is very yeah it's like look we've done let's just get past <laughs> it <you know? laughs> and they eat like very like quietly yeah. yeah it's not as if like his legs are shaking or you like i mean you hear the sounds of like the flesh and everything right yeah i just feel like it could it's it, it, he deserves worse yeah, yeah for sure it's like when somebody terrible in game of thrones just got like some rubble dropped on him don't even get me started you're like no we wanted like a death (laughs) you know it's almost like you didn't give a shit about what you were writing anymore um yeah (laughs) (laughs) no there's no joke what happens next man i'm sad (laughs) brent watches in horror as the filthy figures feed but lola returns grabbing his legs like a lawnmower and tries to toss him into the hole as well brent is barely able to hang on clutching the edge of the floor but Lola snags the hammer and tries to bash his fingers, leaving him no choice but to drop down. In her fury, a bloodied Lola throws down the hammer and her flashlight. She screams and sobs for her father as her previous dates devour her dear old dad. She somberly closes the cellar door, leaving Brent there in the darkness. And down below, Brent does find the flashlight, shining into the faces of the emaciated Reese Agnew, Keir Willis, played by Eden Porter, and Duncan Fletcher, played by Tom Mahoney. And you have to think, most of these boys have been missing since childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is their existence for the past like decade. That is yeah. horrible. Plus, this is kind of a Scott Pilgrim situation because he's got to fight her exes. No. So, I mean, dude, I, it took me a second. No, yeah. I was like, how? Yeah. <laughs> but you're, yes, fair. Because oh, I said it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. And they've been feeding them roadkill. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. That's terrible. Is that really that much better than unseasoned chicken? I'm just saying. You know? <laughs> and milk? What's that possum like? <laughs> But they begin to lumber lankily towards Brent, screeching their familiar song, and Brent sings it too, as he strikes one of them with a hammer, but appears to be overwhelmed by the other two exes. Lola stands in the living room, staring blankly amidst the shimmering light of the disco ball, and in front of the large school dance banner made to mark the momentous occasion. But down below, Brent dispatches the other two boys, putting them out of their misery in quick cuts with the found hammer. Jamie, meanwhile, having had the exact opposite of Brent's evening, walks Mia to her front door. Paul meets them there, too, switching on the porch light, and Mia, wearing Jamie's jacket, clings to him in an embrace. Jamie holds her very tightly and closes his eyes. The way that he does this, he's acting as if they endured what Brent did together. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it was so, like... I they didn't there was I'm so confused by the way that this is done yeah or like she's going back to something terrible yeah that's what it was like yeah he's okay. like like holding her like protecting her mm-hmm. it was weird I'm like you guys had a great fucking night yeah dude. I think it would make a lot of sense if maybe she told him yeah yeah and, and talked about it or something I mean maybe she did and we just didn't, didn't we weren't yeah. there for it But after their embrace, Mia stumbles past her father and into their house. Paul looks over to Jamie, who nervously chuckles to break the tension, remarking that he must have danced Mia off of her feet. Nice try, dude. I guess. Yeah. I Frankly, I don't know how to feel about any of this, man. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm being honest. But back at the Stones' house, Brent surveys his surroundings and the high ceiling above him. 
Arcing the flashlight over a pile of bones and the corpses of the stone's victims, he looks for a way out. We then see a door opening upstairs, and Lola finds bright eyes sitting on the edge of her bed, staring up at a wall. But at the Valentine's house, Paul approaches Mia's door when he hears her sobbing. He opens it slowly to find her facing away from him in her bed, and through her cries, she asks her father, Why can't you find him? Paul returns to bed distraught, looking at a photo on his nightstand of Mia and Timmy. Judith, lying next to him, asks if Mia is all right, and Paul lies that she is. So, again, this is supposed to be like the big reveal, Mm -hmm. but we know all of this. Yeah. So I don't know really what the intention is of unveiling it now. Yeah. Yeah. It it does it it does take away this the like punch of it that we already know earlier, mm-hmm. like you said. And then it is when this comes because like when I was watching it, I did just get the back and forth of when she was out with Jamie, and I'm like, okay, well, this is obviously a break in what we're doing. And then when we do figure this out or we hear this later, it's just like, oh, that's right. It's like that's sad. Yeah, it's like wow, that's fuck. Yeah, and that's kind of that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just I don't know, and I feel like I mean I appreciate the little breadcrumb of him calling them Mister and Mrs. Valentine earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I feel like when we already know everything, twenty minutes ago. Yeah, yeah the picture on the nightstand. I I mean I don't know. It's like okay, that wasn't yeah. as much of a reveal as you're acting like it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But back at the Stones house, we return to murder, already in progress, as Lola smothers bright eyes with a pillow in her bed. As she dies, Lola removes the pillow from her face, telling her, Good night, mummy. It's her mother. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, no problem. This is what she said was the other hard scene for her to film. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I okay, see that's what I thought at the table. But then when she was like, what's wrong with bright eyes? What the fuck? Who did that? Did you call your mom? So I was like, I don't know if. Yeah, I was hoping that it wasn't her yeah. mother. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they. Um. I, well, I mean, I guess it makes. There was this interview that I read where Sean Byrne had tried to fill in, I guess, a bit of a backstory. OK. And so he was talking about Eric as kind of this serial killer in waiting. Okay. Like he always had it in him, but couldn't bring himself to do it otherwise Mm -hmm. until after Lola was born, somebody slighted her in a way. And it was one of these boys. Okay. And so that was the first time any of this happened. That was the first time any of this went to the links that it did. Mm -hmm. He did the whole thing with the drill, with the water, et cetera, down in the hole. But- That's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think the thing for me is that that kind of is a little bit at odds with Lola as a character. Yeah. Because even in the photographs, we see that she's carved her name into their chest. Yeah. Yeah. Even at a young age, she did this. Well, and I think my issue also with that is if this was always like dormant in him and he was kind of just like looking for an excuse, Mm -hmm. why are you like having this very inappropriate relationship with your daughter? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. Sean Byrne didn't talk about that (laughs) in the interview. Got it. But the way that Bright Eyes comes in is that I guess after the first time he did this, she was going to go to the police. Okay. And so that's the story that he told in an interview 
that he said could form basically a prequel if he wanted to. Yeah. But I feel like we get, I mean, there's hints of it there, here and there, but I also feel like it doesn't really line up exactly with, because Lola seems like she's in control of everything. Yeah. yeah. It seems like he is kind of just, I can't deny her anything. Right, right. As opposed to, this is my, but then again, he did the drill, he did the, and he's teaching her how to do it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's like. kind of muddy, I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then leaving, yeah. well, leaving us to have to figure that out with being told anything or trying mm-hmm. to put a backstory together, it does make it hard because there's so many different options you can pick mm-hmm. for why they are the way they are or what's going on here. Yeah. And then we're just like, okay, well, I don't want, I kind of, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't, I don't like what their relationships going on in the screen. I don't want to, mm-hmm. no, you know what I mean? It's I, like, yeah. I don't want to dig deeper into no. that on my own. No. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't see anything about the dad. All I saw was that the mom, like you said, was trying to run away and they caught her and lobotomized her to like keep her there and, she couldn't tell okay but i'm like i don't get that you've never made any reference to that like nothing i thought maybe he was like she was his girlfriend or like his new wife and lola was jealous so she made him do it to her or something because she's like who's prettier yeah that's your mom like i don't know i don't know i know that we're not supposed to be like oh i get why they're doing this (laughs) but it's just it's very strange (laughs) Does that, does that simplify it? This is a very strange situation. <laughs> this dynamic is not great. I think it might be unhealthy. I would say. A little. I yeah. would wager. But down below, Brent clicks the flashlight off and on, which apparently is his secret psychic connection to Holly. <laughs> it feels like when Danny calls Scatman Crothers. It's like, oh, it's like, oh my He's God. He's in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Because we see her lying in bed, but then she immediately remembers one of the last things that Brent said to her. We see him in her memory, standing there in the sunlight, leaning on the passenger side door, once again revealing Lola Stone is the one who asked him to the dance. Holly immediately picks up her phone, finds Paul's number in a book, and calls him at home. We then see Paul speeding in his police car to the Stone house, lights flashing and sirens blaring. Once he arrives, he peeks through the window when no one answers the door, finding the floor stained with blood. Probable cause obtained, he smashes the front window with the butt of his pistol, letting himself inside. As he creeps around what's left of the living room, Brent shrieks silently for his attention down below. I don't know how he knew that he was inside. Hmm. I I guess he heard him when he broke the window to get in? That could be Lola fucking around. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. Well, you didn't hear him when he walked in. He was like, I'm looking for Paul Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I missed you didn't that part. hear him say that? <laughs> That's not Lola. <laughs> so there's the reference we've been. <laughs> when his cries go unanswered, Brent throws the flashlight up to hit the ceiling of the cellar, which Paul finally hears. He opens the door, the light blinding Brent, but Brent is still able to make out a figure approaching Paul from behind. Paul turns around, only to immediately be cleaved in the face with a blade, crashing down into the cellar himself, hitting the edge on the way down. Lola stares down at Brent menacingly, but Brent snags Paul's gun, firing up at her, but she dips away, and Brent is only able to make short work of the disco ball. That looked funny as fuck. 
It did. Yeah. <laughs> Too fast. <laughs> she was gone. And she fucked that dude up. Yeah. Yes. I was the, like, damn. The hitting of the edge before falling down. Yeah, I was like, the, God yeah. damn, dude. dude. It's pretty hey, tough. But the, the cop did find those missing kids. He, he did. did. He did. So, Ooh. I mean... It was the last thing he did, but yeah. Yeah, he's well, like, I'll he, find those kids if it's the last thing I do. That's a little grim. A bad situation. Yeah, even <laughs> for me, I was like, God damn, you're really going to say this? I said that in my brain. Well, you yeah. said it. I did. It's you too said late. It. You it's said recorded. it in your brain yeah. and in your mouth. And this will be released. <laughs> <laughs> so great. But Lola, clutching a knife in one hand and her scrapbook in the other, finds Brent's razor blade necklace resting in a pool of blood. As she places it onto her neck, she reveals her plan. She's going to Brent's house now to stab his mother in the neck like he did to her father. And then she's going to stab Holly in the heart like Brent did to her. I This little section is fantastic. Yeah. It's really great. But I'm like, I'm a frog. I didn't stab you in the heart. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't even the prince. <laughs> yeah, I was never the prince. No. Remember what you said earlier? Mm-hmm. That would have hurt me really badly. <laughs> I'm holding on to that. I'm never letting go of that. Did you get a little pet cemetery there a little bit? Oh, I can see that. Where it's like, you know, and we had an awful good time. Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, mm-hmm. he's going to play with you. Yeah, <laughs> naturally. But I think that it's just the way that it's shot and her performance that sells that moment so perfectly. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of moments, honestly, that in different hands as an actor would not work. I think that she makes a lot of these moments work when they probably shouldn't. Yeah. I agree for sure. But Brent hears Lola's heels getting further and further away. And we see shots of Carla waiting for her son at the window at home and Holly laying in bed, assuming that Paul is on his way to solve it all. In the rising sun, Lola marches through a field to seek her perverted revenge. But still in the cellar, Brent shines his flashlight onto the pile of bones, and inspiration seems to find him. Lola, however, walks in the center of the street just like Timmy Valentine, blood dried on her face and singing not pretty enough to herself as she walks towards us. It did make me laugh that she brought her little burn book with her. (laughs) (laughs) She put a lot of fucking time into that. She's proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. But when she finishes the chorus of the song, she notices something behind her in the distance. Speeding towards her is Holly in her white beetle. Lola recognizes the car and gets off the road immediately. We see an exhausted Holly continuing on down the road until suddenly something strikes her windshield and she screeches to a stop. In slow motion, we see pages of Lola's scrapbook floating on the wind and down to the asphalt. It's a proper distraction, unfortunately, and Lola just wrenches open the passenger door. It's like, you've never seen paper before? Keep yeah. going. Get the Keep fuck going, out dude. Here. <laughs> like, is that a picture of those missing kids? What the yeah. fuck is this? <laughs> just go. I don't get it. But breathing heavily, the camera presses in on Lola's face and Holly's eyes as she notices that Lola is wearing Brent's razor blade necklace. I love these shots mm-hmm. back and forth. Yeah. The slow zoom. Yeah, yeah. It feels very of like the 70s or 80s. Yeah, I yeah, can see that. okay. But the two begin to struggle in the front seat of the car as Lola tries to fulfill the promise she made to Brent. They eventually tumble out of the driver's side when Holly opens the door, and as they fall to the ground, Holly kicks Lola in the face and makes a break for it. 
Now, anything after this that happens mm-hmm. is your fault, Holly. You had, <laughs> yeah. again, you had the upper hand. You got a kick to the face. Those five seconds is all you need to keep kicking her in the jaw. <laughs> Why the fuck did you run away? I think the thing that confuses me is that you know Lola Stone. Yeah. And so you should recognize her from Jump. Right. You see that she's covered in blood. She wrenched your car door open. Yeah. What the fuck do you think is going on? Yeah. You can, like, I don't mean to be mean really? or anything. No, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. They stand there for a long time. Yeah, just so you have to get these drive cool away. shots. Yeah, you can. I did read an article with Victoria Thane where she said that this was the most fun ever. Really? That their fight scene lasted like five or six hours and it was a blast. (laughs) She said that she was exhausted, but it was just hours of doing it over and over again. And that was just the most fun. I bet. Yeah. The way that it's shot is pretty cool from the front of the car, then the side, then. Yeah. Yeah. But meanwhile, Brent is able to make a human ladder of the teenager's bodies, pulling himself out of the cellar with a screech. And we know his upper body strength is on point. That's right. They set that up earlier. But we then find him behind the wheel of Paul's car, pushing 140 kilometers per hour as Lola pursues Holly down the open road. The car eventually rises over a hill just as Holly reaches the top of it from the other side. In a moment very familiar to what we saw at the beginning of the film, Brent swerves out of the way to miss Holly, and he looks behind him to make sure that he did, but in his inattention, he swerves right into Lola, who cracks his windshield and goes flying over the back of the cruiser. Holly runs for the passenger seat, sitting down next to Brent and sobbing at the state of him. She reaches for him, hugging him tightly as she cries, but in a wide shot, We see Lola in her vibrant pink dress, slowly clawing her way towards the back of the cruiser, dragging her broken legs behind her. The bitch is tenacious. Yeah. I loved this. Yes. You have to give her that. Yeah. She wanted it more. She wanted it more. (laughs) For me, this is a little more evil dead for me. I see it, yeah. I, you know what I mean? I was like, damn, this bitch's arm's broken. She's using the knife to pull herself. I was like, her legs are all fucked up. And the wrist looks great. Yeah. It looks very good. The framing of the shot reminded me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Where we see the van kind of. Yeah. yeah. But Brent and Holly hear Lola's knife dragging against the asphalt, and Lola watches as the reverse lights of the car switch on. The music rises in the score, and Lola stares bloody and dumbfounded as the car gets closer and closer, the knife clenched in her right hand and her bones jutting from her shattered left wrist. The music pulses like a heartbeat as Lola breathes raspy breaths and the camera presses in on her eyes. The back bumper finally makes contact, Lola's blood staining the back of the white car. But Brent puts the car into drive, and he and Holly continue down the road, We get a shot of trees as they pass them by until we find Carla still sitting at her window at home, but she rushes outside when Paul's police cruiser pulls up. She runs to meet her son in an embrace, pulling Holly to her too and hugging both of them tightly. Brent stares off while in his mother's arms, forever changed, his eyes closing as we fade to black. We then see the credits roll and the look of these credits. Yes. Mm-hmm. With the glitter and yes, the yeah. it's so good. Fantastic aesthetic. But what did you guys think of the loved ones? I did still like the movie. I did still enjoy it. Um 
I think just, you know, the things we said before still, as we talked about it, kind of stood out a little more, you know. <laughs> um, but I think that just hurts it. We don't have enough time with these characters. Mm-hmm. And then the reveal of the boy's sister, you know what I mean? That being his sister and then this being his family, we already knew that. So when it does happen, like we mentioned, the punch isn't there or it's not as strong. And he's like, okay, but, all right. You know, we knew that, but <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I do feel like this movie, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It is a good movie to throw on and just kind of watch. But the, again, watching it again and then th- it seeing like the father and daughter relationship was really weird. And it really put a, a strange, uh, I guess, feeling on the movie that it was like, all right, I don't I don't I don't like that. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I again, the I remember the first time watching it and mm-hmm. us being like, damn. So I won't even take that from the movie. Yeah. Um, the performances are great. The Like you said, T, the scenes, the cinematography, what they do, it is good because there's times you watch it and it's like, damn, that was badass mm-hmm. or that was really cool. Um, Robin McLeavy. Yes. Jesus. Fantastic. Yeah. This role, and I mean it with the best was made for her. Mm-hmm. She fucking made this Lola Stone character a fucking psycho and just like crazy. That was scary. Yeah. Um. There was no ghosts. There was no <laughs> monsters. That mm-hmm. they are the fucking monsters. It was like goddamn. Yeah. You know. And then, uh, like you mentioned quite a few times, T. He did nothing. He no. did nothing to deserve that. Not so at all. Like, or all right. Um. But yeah, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Uh, Guy 54, Santos, thank you, buddy. You know what I mean? Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would, I'd watch it uh, again. But again, the rewatch, I think, I don't want to say it doesn't have good rewatch ability. It does, but I feel like if some of the things are just kind of like, okay. You know what I mean? After watching it a couple of times, it's like, all right, all right. I, you know, maybe some time needs to pass. <laughs> Before I, you know, check this out again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, the performances are all good. There's yeah. no actor that I can point to and be like, well, you know, everybody pulled their weight. I just feel like some of them had more to work with than others. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the whole Jamie Mia thing, it didn't really do it for me. Like, it's fun at first, and then it's like, okay, is anything happening with this subplot? Yeah. yeah. And then again, like you said, T, we hit a reveal, and it's a reveal that's already been revealed. So, mm-hmm. you know, we got reveal in our reveal, and it's... it's, it's <laughs> we heard you like reveals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we put a reveal on your reveal. It's not... It just wasn't satisfying. Um, I like... I've said it before, horror that's kind of like in this confined area and we have that for the most part with this like horrible like kitchen dining area in yeah. the stone house mm-hmm. and the things that they do to this boy it's just beyond i will say though i don't necessarily need like a morality lesson in my horror or anything like that so it is a little surprising to me how much it kind of bothers me that he did nothing to deserve this it's like we yeah. just kind of picked a character and put him through like parental loss and then familial strain and then 
torture. You know what I mean? It's just like, what did this kid do? Yeah. And he's Nicole. a fucking teenager. It's just like, enough. <laughs> enough. And now will he ever be able to speak again? I don't think how so. Long is that, yeah. How long is the voice box injection? What is that? You know, no, bleach, I, dude. Well, yeah. yeah, those they were still doing it down in the cellar. It's still yeah. sounding like that. So he's probably that's it for his life. And for them, I think they've been down there like 10, 11 years. Damn. It's just and I mean, you know, again, I'm a bleak bitch, whatever. So I'm not normally like, that's not fair, but it's really not fair. Yeah. But it is a fun movie. Like if you take that part, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you tortured this poor child. Yeah. It is fun. Yeah. yeah. But I had a blast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a ride. Um, again, the performances make it, it, it really propels it forward. Even in moments where like the plot maybe, or the narrative isn't as strong, but it's clear that Robin McLevy is the standout. She said that this role really affected her, that it made her eyes start twitching. She started smoking. Like, And in the, in an interview I saw, she was like, I'm going to not do horror for a while because neither her nor um, the woman that plays Holly, mm-hmm. they don't like horror. Neither of them do. Really? Yeah. And I feel like they both did really well in this. Yeah. I read that Robin McLevy was in trouble of being typecast after this role. Like she got a lot of offers from American filmmakers. I can yeah. totally see that. That was basically like the same thing times ten. I can see that. Well, because she does it very well. She yeah. does. She but, does. Um, yeah. I mean, this it's this is a kind of a difficult one because there is. I appreciate the uniqueness. I appreciate you citing your inspirations and being able to see those inspirations through the film. Yeah, that is interesting to me. Again, performances are on point. It's just, I don't know, something about watching it the second time. I'm just like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. You view it through a different lens, I think. Yeah. And it's partially because I think the first time it might be fueled by shock value. Okay. It, it okay. has to be. Because the second time it's like, I, I'm trying to see past all of the shit that made me go like, oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. The first time and then see what is left surrounding it. Mm-hmm. And what is left surrounding it, I mean, you, you do have a great score. Mm-hmm. You have fantastic performances, as we said, especially Robin McLevy. Yeah. You have really, really good cinematography that the film honestly looks better than I saw that the budget was that (laughs) (laughs) like it's been a long fucking day guys (laughs) Um, movie looked good yes it did movie made eyes happy Um, (laughs) so um what i'm trying to say is that there are positives even when some things don't work as well as they did the first time Yeah. yeah but i just think that the things that are difficult to look past maybe the film honestly it might move too fast Okay. Yeah. In some ways where there could be more setup, there could be character moments that we kind of get to meet people before we have to meet them for what they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that when it comes to Jamie and Mia, what what is even the point? Yeah. I mean, really? Out, I, outside of a I little levity, but then it, it turns out not to be levity at all? Yeah, yeah. not at all. When clearly she's drowning her sorrows and trying to distract herself. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but like, it's like, yeah, oh, that's real funny. I, <laughs> no. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I just I just don't get it, especially as it gets recontextualized at the end. Mm-hmm. And you're like, fuck, you know, 
And I mean, maybe the reveal could have been handled better. I, I'm trying to think of how they could have done it where you don't know until he looks at that picture. Maybe yeah. the picture in Lola's book. I mean, you know, that's the connection instead of being like Timmy Valentine and they're like, hey, Mr. Valentine. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, we've already made it. Yeah. You know, and so I don't know. But it does feel like that subplot really is added just to aid in the runtime. Yeah. And especially cutting back to them so many times, it's like, are we going to get out of the car yet? No. And then we're back to okay. torture. <laughs> and then we're back to the fucking parking lot. Are we going get, to get out of the car yet? No. Back to torture. Yeah. It's like, I'm fucking exhausted and it's 79 minutes long. Yeah. yeah. It does make it a bit tedious when the movie does move so fast. It does. And I, I definitely do agree in regards to obviously, you know, in horror movies, bad shit happens to good people all the time. Yeah. yeah. Bad shit happens to people who have done nothing all the time. But there is something that is so, like, it's so extensive how bad Brent has it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, because typically that would not even be a complaint for no. me. But there is something about this film that I'm like, give the boy a yeah. <laughs> I don't know. As I'm like, I'm like, this is really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You can't take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's identity all yes. over again. <laughs> <laughs> but there is there's just something about it that i'm like man this is just not working for me yeah. <laughs> but there are a lot of really good shots and there are a lot of moments especially with line delivery from robin mcleavy mm -hmm. where a lot of these moments you're like oh that's gonna stick in my head for a while yeah so i mean there, there are plenty of reasons i see why throughout the years it has attained this cult status for sure and I would still say to watch it because yeah. that first watch, it is, you know, mm -hmm. it's a punch. I will say it stands out from a lot of the films that were out around this time. It's also mildly derivative of a lot of films that were mm. out around this time, yeah. too. So it is kind of this mixed bag, but there is a lot to like. There's just a lot for me personally that I don't vibe with. Okay, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I do like the aesthetic. I, I love this. They called it glam horror, which is really interesting. I yeah. love that. Something I'd never heard before, but I'm like, you know, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's a very unique film that wears its influences on its sleeve. And I respect that. Mm -hmm. But I also feel that, you know, some aspects of the film that are tackled, I've seen in films that i enjoy more and would be more likely to revisit those instead yeah yeah so i mean it's it's this one is very difficult but i think i've basically said all the things that i usually say after i say well let's go ahead and sign <laughs> <laughs> into ratings but um for me i think out of 10 silenced screams i uh, i enjoy a lot of this movie i think the thing is that i realized and i said it at the top I just don't think that uh, torture films really do it for me. And this isn't, I wouldn't say, because, you know, the term torture porn that people throw around, yeah. especially threw around like 15, 20 years ago. I was going to mm -hmm. say during this time. Yeah, which I don't think this falls into. No. I just feel like uh, the emphasis on it is kind of like, a, nah, all right. Yeah, okay. For me. But, you know, again, it's personal taste, personal preference. Mm -hmm. Rating. <laughs> <laughs> Out of 10 silenced screams for all the reasons that I have just said. <laughs> Are you stalling? I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think of a number. I am going to give the loved ones six silenced screams out of 10. There is a decent amount of things to enjoy here, but there's also things that make it a little difficult to enjoy at a level that I would like to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But with that, I will now open the floor to you. 
No, I, I, I think that's fair. I think we've we've all kind of given our reasons and, you know, gone back and forth and um and and I and too, I feel the same way. I, I this was hard for me to give a score for because I was like, damn, I really like this movie, but then like too, when we watch it for the show and you've gotta pay attention to everything instead of just the extreme violence or just the mystery or whatever. It's like, okay, well, there's also this going on and that going on. When you do take away the horror of it and you're just, it's just like, okay, you know, yeah. Oh, that was fast. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. I don't, well, we're back here again. Okay. Uh, and, and, and you're, you're a hundred percent correct. Jamie and Mia, I was like, at first I was like, oh, okay, you know, they're out getting fucked up, whatever. Then I was like, oh, I don't think she's having a good time. You know what I mean? I was like, and then later, and then it's like, yeah, I, I don't know what I was supposed to feel with that. Or I was supposed yeah. to, you know what I mean? You guys went and y'all were grinding on the floor in the, you know, on the dance floor. And then you go to the car and then y'all finish off in there and whatever. And then this is like, you were chugging that bottle earlier in the night. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? You wanted me to before be like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and then like, oh. yeah, now it's like, the, oh, the whole time she was fucking sad, dude. She's trying to forget what was going on. And mm -hmm. it was kind of for me anyway, I felt like it was portrayed as that relief from what was happening to Brent. You know, what's what's strange to me is I remember reading in an interview somewhere. He either used the word as a revenge film. I think he might have also used the word calling this a redemption film, which I don't really feel that. Is For true. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. I don't. I don't know. He didn't do anything wrong. No. You know. And honestly, he ran someone over at the end. Well, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not, she's not good. But I'm saying, are we redeeming hitting a tree with hitting a person? I'm not sure. What's this? What are, uh, what are we talking about? I'm not sure, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think honestly, if we have the B plot of the film connect with the A plot a little bit better. Yeah. Mia also deserves some fucking revenge. Yeah. Yes, she does. Yeah. And that never comes to be. That never means Damn. anything. Yeah. Well. And yeah. her father is dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Again, right. these characters that have done nothing and we're just putting them through fucking yeah, through hell. Yeah. yeah. Now she's lost her brother and her dad. Yeah. To the same fucking torture oh family. God. <laughs> I didn't even... You're right. Yeah. So it's like, why? You know, I don't know. But please. And the mom, no. too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. God damn. But yeah. But and I I do. You said this is glam horror. I in I like the feel of this. Yeah. I like the style of it. I enjoy uh, our villain. I like everything with that is great. Um, I do like that. So I'm very interested to see what other. uh if that is what this is, glam horror or whatever, you know what I mean? Maybe we can find another something else that kind of is like, oh, all right, I like this, you know? Um, but we're talking about the loved ones. So. <laughs> <laughs> For me, on a scale from one to 10, silence screams. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give the loved ones a 6.5. Uh, I Again, I did enjoy the movie, but that umph just wasn't there the second time. Mm-hmm. It just didn't come for me, and it was just kind of like, oh, all right, that's cool, you know. But I mean, again, though, and we've said it, watch it. Yeah, it is a good movie for sure. Um, I feel like we've covered everything. It just, uh, it doesn't hit on subsequent viewings yeah. for me. It didn't. I was surprised um, to talk to both of you and find that you felt the exact same way. So I don't think that it's just me or just the three of us. I mean, maybe it is. 
But um, for everything that we've complained about, for lack of a better <laughs> uh, phrase or term, there's a lot of good that we also went over. I don't want to just keep repeating. Jen. No, <laughs> but, yeah. You know, this is a fun watch. If you don't think too deeply about what is going on and the like ruining of all of these families with really no comeuppance because Lola, you know, it's a light switch. She's just gone. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's still no closure for Mia or, you know, it's fucked up. Yeah. But that first watch is a, is a wild good time. Like you do not know what's going to happen next. It's, it's very abrupt and the abruptness works for it. But in a lot of places it for me works against it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, narratively, I think it stumbles a bit when we're, now I'm in Australia. Now I'm in America. Like now we're in the car. Now we're in the kitchen. It's it's like okay, you're you've done the same thing three times now. Oh, now they're drinking instead of smoking. Okay, cool. They're still getting fucked up in the yeah. car. We've seen that three times now. Like moments like that, which again, the first watch, I don't remember feeling that way. Yeah, frankly, from the first watch to this one, I forgot they were characters in the film. I did too. So I. <laughs> so maybe your brain's just like, you don't need that. <laughs> just get past it. But yeah, I I don't think that even kind of being disappointed, remembering liking it a lot more the first time than watching it the second time. This is not a film that I'm like, oh, I didn't like that. Like that, it wasn't good to me. Like that film's not for me. I still don't feel that way. I feel like the first time had kind of a magic to it that just is not, it didn't, it wasn't sustainable for me. That first watch was just a moment that me and this movie had and People change and times move on, you know? It was a magical night, like the end of the year dance. Like the end yeah. of the year dance. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you. Um, I do want a crown. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what but, we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> but on a scale from one to ten, <laughs> silenced screams. I'm also going to give the loved ones a six out of ten silenced screams. I had a 6.5. The more that we talked, it just kept kind of going down. No, yeah, I got you. I just like the Lola Stone character and the, the no, absolutely. great. And the I music's like, that's fucking fantastic. But yeah, there's just a lot that I'm like, what? Yeah, I <laughs> agree. I But on, frankly, the more we talk about crowns, I think I want one too. <laughs> <laughs> Three crowns, please. <laughs> Well, that's all from us at Pod Mortem. What would you rate the loved ones and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Pod Mortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like our Stairhole Productions page on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Thanks again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Please consider pledging to our Patreon where you'll get bonus content like The Corner of Creep and No Sleep and Talk Mortem. Stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, don't get bent out of shape if you face rejection. While it may feel like the end of something good, it could actually be the beginning of something great. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woo! Yeah! yeah. So proud of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> a special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, 
Lala Thames, Travis and Nisa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggy, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Scott Troutman Wise, Towton Watson, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Kyle OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Hagetta, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Megan M, Strangely Sarah, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanovan, Katie K, Erica Morin, Cameron S, Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A, Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E, Maggie H, Fernando Dominguez, Murder Stina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McGonagall, Kristen Marcy, Ori81 Boricua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Felnez 63, Alita Pui, Probably My Jugs, Kate Thackeray, Wade Pack, A Lizard, Bay J, Jay Rich, Jen Lassiter, Topher Williams, Elena Mettler, Neil Chesson, Valerie Kay, Christy Lee Kruger, Professor of Humanities, Laura McCarricker, Naomi, Josh Smith, Autumn Green, Heather Santiano, Abby Kopp, Crystal 831, Cassidy Carruthers, Skank Sinatra, Morgan Alexander, Tony Osteen, Julie Fredborg, Rihanna S., Daniel Taylor, Anna Kate, Heather Ortiz, Jen T., Kim H., August, Vengeance Spirit, Sam J. Green, Kelly Glazyface Mac, Jenny May, Zoe Marie, Glittery Fab, Malik Caselli Armstrong, Scarly D, Toya Shea, Katie, Martin Shaw, Star, Suzanne Vanderbeek, and Taylor J. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you all. We appreciate you so much, and we hope that you know that you make us feel like... <laughs> The loved ones. That's all. I'm, I'm sorry this week, guys. <laughs> Until next time.